guilty of one of the vilest of crimes. I am a doctor, you know. I have decided to extend my leniency to its limits by only sentencing you to be committed to the state asylum for the criminally insane for a period of five years. I knew you couldn't give up your work completely. And you haven't. succeeded this time and every sacrifice will be worthwhile to baron frankenstein creator of man hello and welcome back to scream addicts hammer pub i am jinx your co-host i'm sitting here with my co-hosts ali chapel and paul farrell ali paul we're we're doing great this is actually how how, how long has it been since we recorded two episodes concurrently over the course of like a week like it's been a while oh it's so good but also i mean in theory it's like two and a half episodes because we did do the intro for that one we did that one was we uh, we deserve credit for that half episode we recorded yeah i think so i think so so we're doing even better than i gotta tell you i've been listening to that episode on my uh my lunch breaks i'm not not that i uh just love hearing myself talk I do love hearing myself talk, but that's not the reason I was listening to it. I wanted to go back and listen to that specific Getting Hammered with Hammer episode just to see how wildly different it might be from what we're doing now. And I got to tell you, it's a bit different. I don't know if either of you have listened to it yet. Uh, I'm I'm kind of I don't usually go back and re-listen to things I record, but since that one was like over a year old and it was like considered lost, I thought it would be fun to kind of revisit it. So, yeah, I am listening. And yeah. Uh, old getting hammered with hammer was a very different reality uh, because the, the g- emphasis on the getting hammered part <laughs> that, was, uh, that I, was really the uh, the crux of the show. But it, it's it's kind of fun <laughs> to be honest to listen to. No, it. I I think it's a blast. It's just a shame that you know getting that drunk down there killed one of us. Uh, not pointing fingers, <laughs> <laughs> Allie. I gotta ask, have you listened to any of it yet? No, not yet. I've been like so busy and behind on all my podcast listenings. No, it's cool. It's cool. You just have to let us know what you think of it being so wildly different from the two guys that you're uh, you're talking to currently. Uh, but I yeah. tell you what, all that aside, I am happy to be talking to you both again. And uh, you know, I gotta say, tonight's a special uh, special episode because guess what? What's what? Not? We have a guest. Ooh, that's exciting. Yes, we do. All right. I just wanted to point out to you both that on the podcast with us tonight is Bomber, who runs the Hammer Horror Films Twitter account. Uh, I, If anybody follows the Scream Addicts Twitter account, and undoubtedly you have seen us retweet and post various things from the Hammer Horror Films Twitter account. I, I It's one of my favorite accounts. It is constantly posting cool pictures from Hammer Horror Films and just classic horror, too. But, uh, Bomber, you run one hell of an account. Thank you so much for taking the time to actually be on the show with us tonight and talk one of my favorite Hammer Horror Films. Can you tell listeners out there a bit about yourself, a bit about the account, and uh, why they should get out there immediately and follow you? Well, I think, uh, you know, if you want to follow an account that is actually not taking itself too seriously... I'm the account to follow <laughs> because 
No, it's like we've got 42 and a half thousand followers now. And uh, I think the closest one to us is a few thousand. Uh, I think people, it's it's meant to be entertainment and enjoyed. And it's good to know a lot about it. But, you know, you just don't want to take it too seriously. We like to have fun. We like to put up the rare pictures and the videos and everything and uh, crank them out at a pretty good pace. So there's, you know, some people write to me and tell me that they love when everything comes up it makes their day brighter and that's why we do it good deal all right now can i ask uh one folks out there listening you can find this account uh it is at horror hammer one and you need to do that asap one but two bomber tell us why hammer what was your first experience with hammer horror why are you such a fan uh well i'm Originally Irish, you know, so I mean, we had some uh, exposure back there, but I came over here at a very young age and uh, I started, like most people, through Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine, uh, which was a big thing in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And uh, I got my first copy and I think uh, the cover was Christopher Lee. And, uh, you know, I just kind of read that first, you know, then I got a subscription or I picked it up and all that. I never missed an up. So that kind of springboarded me into Hammer. And I always liked Universal and, you know, the AIP films of Price. But uh, Hammer, just to me, there's a certain quality about the way they shoot them. They're, you know, they're makeup artists, they're set designers, they're, they're just, they're just stands apart, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Now, can I ask, do you have a favorite Hammer? Favorite Hammer film? Uh, yes, Ooh. yeah. Oh boy, uh, that probably changes. Um, I think one of my favorite ones it, uh, to watch is um, The Devil Rides Out with Christopher Lee. Ooh, that's a good one. Mm. And or uh, you know, in the in the Dracula series, I'm I'm big on um, actually the one without Christopher Lee. We met Brides of Dracula. I, I like uh, the original Dracula uh frankenstein's you know uh frankenstein created woman frankenstein must be destroyed uh curse of frankenstein uh, there's just too many i mean it's like picking between your kids you know (laughs) that's that's a fact that maybe you can tell paul that you know because it's like choosing between your kids that when say oh i don't know this podcast inevitably does its top 10 maybe we should be allowed to choose more than 10 like maybe for a single place, I should be able to say Frankenstein cycle to cover all of them. I don't uh, know. No, come on. That's one way to do it. Uh, yeah, they made so many in a, you know that a spate of I don't know a few hundred in the between the late fifties and the uh, mid seventies that you know there's some clinkers in there, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, but if you know if I, I if I were to bring up a certain one. Uh, and somebody heard this, they'd just be horribly offended, you know, that I brought it up, you know, but, uh, you know, I don't like lust for a vampire. I mean, that's like, to me, it's one of the worst ones I ever did. Some people love it. I don't, I mean, it's, it's, it's up, it's up to the taste of the person, I guess. Yeah, that was uh, that was one of the lower rated films, I think, all around when it came about here on the podcast. Our commentary was a little uh, little on the scathing side. But I got to say, like, I, even still, even when Hammer is at its worst, I can always find something to appreciate. And I can't say that about every run of horror films out there. Well, it was the only like... one that Jimmy Fallon was in. <laughs> <laughs> he is actually a vampire. Time-traveling not Jimmy Fallon. Know that. Yeah. 
<laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to take heat for that. Wait, I'll take heat on social media for saying that. But, you know, <laughs> what, do, what do I care? <laughs> yeah, you know. All Always right. something on social media to be mad about. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fact. All right, Bomber, thank you again for agreeing to come on. Now, uh, before sure. we actually dive into the commentary for the film we are going to be chatting about, which for listeners out there who didn't read the episode title, is Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell, let's go around a couple of laps and go ahead and discuss our recent watches because you are our guest. Why don't you go ahead and dive in? What have you seen recently, uh, horror movie-wise, that you would like to talk about and maybe recommend? Ooh, okay. Well, well I, I, I pretty much... <laughs> I pretty much stick with stuff from uh, the 20s through the 70s, but I, I will watch the occasional new horror film. And uh, right off the bat, I would have to say uh, my buddy Barbara Crampton, and she might even listen to this. Uh, I know you know who that is. Uh, mm-hmm. She Good was fan. in one. She did one. Uh, it's on Shutter now. It was. Uh, it's out on Blu-ray, too. The Jake, Jacob's Wife. I, I really got a kick out of that. Oh, it's so good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's one of the better films of the year. I I, I like the way that they handled it. Uh, Travis Stevens, who is my buddy, too. You know, you'll see me. I don't follow many people, but if I do, I generally try and talk to him. And, you know, he's the director. And uh, they put in Bonnie Aarons, whom I follow, too. She's in it. She played the nun, as you know. And uh, she's been in a lot of stuff, too. And they just put together a really neat movie. It's because it not only tackles vampires and horror. You know, it gets into... uh, interpersonal relationships and uh it gets into dark comedy and it's just an, it's just a really interesting watch and uh barbara really is you know she's always great but in that she's just uh she just really does some amazing stuff some some there's some amazing scenes with her where she just really shows her range and uh you know i'm not because i she's she's my my pal i'm not you know i, I it's just a really it's one of the best of the year for me if not the best uh, it's excellent. Yeah, she is amazing in that film, I will say. And uh, that is a movie that we all talked about, I think, a few episodes back. Am I right about that? Heck yeah. Yeah, and the yeah, only other one I think it. of that I've seen recently is is The Hunt. And I don't know if that qualifies as horror, but I think it does. Uh, you know, where the... Um, the rich were uh, the... Emma left. Roberts and... Uh, yeah. Yeah, they, they hunt... Yeah. They, they, the, the, <laughs> I think it's the far left people hunt the the MAGA type people like yeah. sport. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just enjoyed the whole concept, how they had the fake towns over in Europe and everything. It's just I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a great watch. Yeah, the hunts yeah. uh, Betty Gilpin's so good in that oh, movie. She's so good in it. <laughs> oh yeah, she was excellent. Yep. She should have been I don't know why it hasn't happened yet. It's been a year and a half since that movie came out. I she should have already been rebranded as like an action star, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh why that hasn't happened yet. Here, I, here. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she uh, was yeah, phenomenal yeah. in that movie. If they could find a way to do a sequel, I mean that would be mm-hmm. that would be that that would be the thing. But she's kind of moved on to doing all kinds of stuff now. But I, I just I'd like to see him trying to find a way to continue the story. It was uh there's so many twists and turns that, you know, some some you see coming and some you don't, but it, it's just like uh, I just also just love the uh, the senseless violence was really great. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is a romp. I I like that it managed to serve both things. Where uh, you're right, it is it's just purely fun, uh, like on an entertainment level. You know, just what, what with the amount of violence, but at the same time, you know, it, it does play with some really interesting themes that I don't think that we see 
sort of approach them quite the same way that the hunt does it, you know, when it comes to sort of the political divide in this country. I thought it was much smarter than a that I got credit for from really either side. Uh, yeah, it, it, it took it took a lot of heat uh, when it was made. I mean, I, I think they didn't release it at first because of those yeah. situa- that situation. But, uh, you know, it's the and the screen time that some of the names you recognize in the movie get with that, that would be a spoiler. But <laughs> that's kind of surprising, too. And uh, and how their stories unfold like it without giving anything away. So it's, 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 it's one to watch that. And the Jacob's wife, those two are the most recent watches that I've had that I, that I would recommend to anybody. Both good choices. I think. All right, Allie, how about you? What have you seen in the last week? Oh my God. I have watched so much stuff and none of it's horror. Uh, right off the bat, I spent three hours in the theater watching Dune. Oh, and okay. That's a, I, okay, I like the Doom movies. I like the Doom book. This one, I just felt like it was boring. Oh, no. And, like, again, like maybe just, like, I don't know. It was beautifully shot, but it was all very dark. And even compared to, like, the trailer, it was dark, which makes me think that there was a problem at my theater. Um, mm. But, like, the acting was really good. Rebecca Ferguson's great. Uh, Timothy Chalamet is, you know, great. It also just, like, boggles me that it's, like, 8,000 years in the future and, like, the name Paul is still a popular name. Hey, now. Rebecca Ferguson's great. She was great in Dr. Sleep. Oh, she was so great. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I was there for her in that new movie, Reminiscent. Is that what it's called? With Reminiscence. Which I think... I don't uh, know that one. I'm one of the seven people on the planet, I think, that actually liked that movie, but I loved it. <laughs> I didn't see it. I did it's see like, Dune, though. It's like me and Hugh Jackman and a couple of other people. We're the only I ones who does it. So I want to see it. It looks good. Well, it looks I interesting. <laughs> I skipped it on HBO because I just so many people said it wasn't good. So now I'm regretting not watching it because I didn't know that Jinx liked it. Yeah. Um, like I, I saw Dune. I, I watched it on uh, HBO Max. Um, I don't know. I really liked did it. You, did you <laughs> watching it on the smaller screens? I did feel like on the bigger screen, at least I felt yeah. like in the world of it, seeing it in a theater. Paul, I Just, think you elected to. Uh, how is it? How how did he put it? You elected for the uh, jet ski in a bathtub option. For yeah, doing, so. yeah, I'm sure that's that's the exact same thing as the experience I had with this movie. <laughs> um, that's but, uh, no, I I thought it was you know. I thought it was impressive how digestible he made the story because well, it's kind of a, a dense, <laughs> difficult thing to penetrate as a film, as we see in the in the Lynch version. Um, so much more colorful and fun and like, well, yeah, yeah. And I like I have a soft spot for the Lynch version, even though I know it's a bit of a mess. Um, it is what it is. <laughs> but I I it's think that this I think the Let difference is this. <laughs> yeah, I think this version felt like a movie that had real like gravitas behind it and and dramatic weight, and, and as opposed to something that I can watch and sort of go, oh yeah, this is crazy and fun and bizarre. This movie actually made sense like on an emotional level, um, and then I was really impressed with the effects and how real everything looked oh, and yeah, how, how well realized stuff. the world was. Um, I was really I impressed with have, all like, that. I could have three oh, more. Go ahead just the sandworms like i thought that yeah. was such a yeah, great design and like that's why i felt like that was the bummer of like my theater being weirdly 
dark. I think I think you had a bad projection experience. I think because... I had a bad projection that day because you could like <laughs> kind of like when it opened up and had all those little teeth, and then you can supposed to see that little middle part. Like you couldn't yeah. really see it. <laughs> I I think it was that because on, on at home on on HBO it looked great like it was bright it, it it's not like I wouldn't call it a colorful movie but it wasn't drab very grayscale but like it's, yeah right right but it's still beautiful and like sure like no one's faulting the movie for how it looks it's got a great design it's just a little dark gotcha. is it like is it like the Avatar experience it's the most watched movie ever but I've never seen it. <laughs> Nor would I want to sit through 12 hours of it. I mean, it still could be. Well, that's the problem. I really want to see Dune to see it. Yeah. I mean, and it's not a full movie. That's that's my biggest issue with with these big epic movies that are split into parts. It's like, okay, well, at the end of it, you walk away and you're like, okay, I saw half a movie. (laughs) And now I got to wait a year and a half to see the second (laughs) half. And and the question like, is, four, there's like four Star Wars that I haven't even seen yet. <laughs> you <laughs> might so be better off on the Star Indian Wars now. front. Yeah. Just leave it behind. You're done with Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you're yeah. good. If it's you been saw Empire Strikes far. Back, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. 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 I just, you know, it's just, that's, it's just too much. I, I, I tried to watch one of the new ones and I couldn't even get halfway through it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say Solo is good. Out of all of the new Star Wars movies that have been made, the one that feels the most like, the one that made me feel like a kid watching Star Wars again for the first time was actually Solo. So if you get the chance, that's 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 not a bad one. Rogue One, maybe give a wide berth. Just throwing that out there. But uh, I, like, I liked Rogue One. I wish I did. I love the trailer. I, mean, uh, I love it. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say go out of your way to see it. I mean, that's the problem is like if someone said – hey, do you recommend any of these new ones? It would be hard to say yes to any of them. I think the closest I would come yeah. is maybe uh, The Last Jedi, but the problem is it now that the third one has come out and completely sort of undermined it, <laughs> it doesn't really work anymore, even though I think in, in and of itself it's a good movie. It it gets sort of shorthanded by the way the direction the franchise goes in. Yeah, so I, th- like, I think they try to franchise too many movies. It's like you know, yeah. They take, you take a movie standalone like uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, one and done. I think that's more my style. Yeah, yeah. Fair. Well, that's true. And and the sad thing is, if they made Close Encounters today, they would they would envision it as a three part trilogy with spinoff potential. You know, yeah, like they wouldn't great. just make it. We anymore, don't need like that. They would. No, the mashed potato mountain would get its own Pixar short film. Like I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, I got that yeah. got me in so much trouble when I was younger making mashed potato mountain. <laughs> you you just keep saying it's important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Gravy uh, volcano, yeah. Yeah. I get it. I um so what have I seen recently? I um I don't Wait, know if I mentioned this done? last Oh, sorry. I have to talk to everyone about how amazing the movie Bowfinger is. Yes, thank you. Oh, Bowfinger, I'm the original Bowfinger. I saw that in the theater when it came out, and I, I loved it. And uh, nobody else did. Yep, and I was same. like, "What? Why does nobody love this movie?" I, it I is know, right? One of the best comedies ever. For like sure. the poster is just the, the, the oh god the uh, the Eddie Murphy Eddie Murphy's a double character. Oh my, oh my god. god! Yeah, it's perfect. Kit Ramsey, K I T, keep it together. Keep it together. Keep it together. Yeah, yeah. That, oh. that that is. I don't know what I, I have my own copy of it actually. Yeah. 
Oh, I own yep. it on every platform, but I rebought it again on Blu-ray because I guess I don't know. It was on like it was nine dollars on Amazon to buy it on Blu-ray, and I was like, mm, don't yeah, have the it. Blu-ray Blu-ray. is very cheap. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't I don't know why that didn't. I don't know. I think it was maybe one of those things when they were just having a, a, a down Eddie Murphy period or something. I don't know. It must have come out around that time because. You know that, and Steve Martin was good in it too. You know, with the ponytail he'd take on and on. Yes, yeah, it's, it's got to be it's a, it's a comedy classic to me. You know, it's, and it's, it's like, one of Steve Martin's best roles, like easily. It really and is. It's so funny, and I think I think part of the problem is it's a very meta movie. Like it's very it's about about Hollywood too. So I think it. I think a lot of average viewers, especially at the time that it came out, meta filmmaking wasn't as popular as it would go on to become and Hollywood movies about Hollywood were, were very, I think alienating to the average moviegoer at the time. Whereas now I think there's a little bit more like inside baseball. Isn't what it once was. Like, I think people have a better understanding of how the industry works. Um, So I almost think that movie would have played better maybe like a decade later. Um, Yeah. But I I do think it's phenomenal. Well, it seems like it's growing in popularity too. Because the more yeah, and more I do true. hear people yeah. discovering it. Oh, no, it's a perfect movie. The whole thing where he talks about how, like, after all the the business and the whatever, every movie costs $2,000 to make. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's almost like it's almost like a, a modern version of uh, Ed Wood. Yes, it totally is. Ed Wood. Yeah, that's very true. And uh, I, I've always wished that they would take the clips of Chubby Rain and oh release God. it like so you could watch chubby rain you know i think that might have been when eddie murphy was releasing you know he had that huge contract movie after movie and it just kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit yeah it's got a hell of a cast too like it's it's heather graham graham's awesome in that yeah, yeah oh, she's so funny he's so good she's so funny in it yeah, I remember I to see it again. Theater. I must have been pretty young then because I, I I did go to the theater and see uh, and yeah I I loved it. It was the uh, the first DVD I ever bought. Like when DVDs became a thing, the very first one I ever bought was Bowfinger. I like still have that copy. Maybe oh, that. I yeah, it was it was oh God. I was like sixteen, maybe. I don't. I it was. I remember like getting a DVD player. And we and we could buy one movie, and my brother and I were like, we're buying Bowfinger. <laughs> and the DVD player cost like eight hundred dollars. Oh God, yeah, it was like a three hundred dollar DVD player. And then our second movie was um, uh, South Park the movie was our oh, second one that we bought. <laughs> that's a hell of a double feature. Yeah, yeah that's... man, that's a good double <laughs> I feature. I love it so much. <laughs> I gotta say, I have not seen Bowfinger in about twenty years, but I remember really liking it when it came out. I. But even now, I can only remember three things about it. I remember uh, him flashing the Laker girls. I remember Eddie. <laughs> I remember the movie star character version of like Eddie Murphy uh, uh, feeding the script into a computer to see how many instances of the letter K there were, oh my God, so yeah. that it was equally divisible by divisible three. By three. Yeah. And he was just like the, the sickness. The sickness is deep. You know, uh, I remember he says, uh, the guy's like, it's not like it's Shakespeare. And he's like, Shakespeare, shake a spear, spear chucker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, you know, I think that 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 character seems to me that was based on somebody he knows that it's very probably know that for the whole science. You know who they are more, more than likely. Yeah. Well, because there's the whole uh, Scientology. Subplot. Well, it's the 
mind head. Well, right, mind head. But it's a very clear stand-in for uh, for that religion. I haven't watched it in about five years. I guess I'll be watching that later. I kind it's of on watch HBO it again. Max, I think, in your guys' area. Like, it's not in Canada, but, like, in the States, it's definitely so. Yeah. The, the Blu-ray oh, yeah, no, is very definitely cheap, on my so. shelf. I've got, like, uh, five to 6,000 movies on my shelves. <laughs> and none of them there are Bowfinger? Steve Martin, yeah, I like Bowfinger. I got Bowfinger when it came out, and I rebought it again. I need to... I, need to, I could I have a five. whole, like... I love, I love this for for us. I love that we're going oh, deep on Bowfinger. This is phenomenal. <laughs> That's this podcast. The, yeah, the uh, science fiction elements of Bowfinger, the mind head. Yeah. Who was who played? Uh, that was actually a, somebody then involved with the Who that was in Bowfinger. I think the mind head leader, the gray haired guy, Aaron Stamp. Yeah, his brother Chris Stamp was the Who's manager for several years. Oh, that's oh. Cool. I know that. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And also, maybe Jamie best. Kennedy is in it as the the DOP. Oh God! Oh yeah, I forgot. There's just about a lot that. of people in that movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a stacked cast. It's it's great. Oh my God! Yeah, I just love that when they try to go get the film crew, they just go and get a bunch of like Mexicans who are getting shot by coyotes as they're coming over the border. <laughs> <laughs> that is the second thing that I remember is when he's crewing up, he just opens the back of the, the van doors and just like yells, "Get in!" Well, it's Ed Wood, you know, when they're shooting their movies, it's the same, you know, they use the same methods. It's, yeah, it's great. And then the riff on Holy Man by having uh, Eddie Murphy cross traffic, but instead of being all cool like in that movie, instead he's just like, help me, Lord Jesus, oh Lord, help. <laughs> and he makes him do it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, he's got to run across the street twice. I, I, I also love Christine Baranski in that movie. Oh, she is like, so freaking hilarious. Yeah. She's Every so damn funny in that he movie. He talks to Eddie Murphy about the aliens, and he just starts to yes, yeah, out and she's all her. like frantic. <laughs> what was there to the point where she convinces him it's real? <laughs> the way they did the FedEx thing, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. That's just yeah. I don't know. There's something about those scenes too. It's like the FedEx has arrived. You know? I don't know. The whole thing oh is just God, yeah. really well written. And then they get yeah, to do fake purse ninjas in Je- in Taiwan. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, at the end when when he yeah uh, uh, when he's uh, at the end. <laughs> playing doing uh movie uh, low budget movies with starring Kit Ramsey's brother. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what a movie! Oh my god, yeah. Everyone classic. at home, go and watch this movie again. It's a Agreed. perfect movie. If you take yeah, away nothing yeah, from the unanimous on that, yeah. If if you if you take away nothing from the Frankenstein the monster from hell commentary, it's watch Bowfinger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was there anybody in both movies? Mm. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> right off the top of my head. How can That's we make this work? <laughs> All right. So does yeah. any but before I tackle my uh my one paltry thing, well, two things maybe. Uh can I ask, does anybody else have a title they would like to throw out before we move on? Um, a title of the movie to watch. Why I, I do you want me to go after you, or I haven't gone yet? Oh yeah. Ha- oh no. Was oh that's oh my god. Okay. I'm I sorry. just was chiming in on Bowfinger. <laughs> okay. Yeah, All right. Paul, on on to you. Uh yeah. So I mean, I'll keep it quick. I I only watched a few horror movies. I've been watching a lot of like Christmas movies because of the season and whatnot. Um, a lot of different versions of a Christmas Carol though, which is sort of a ghost story. So you got that. Oh yeah. Uh, but. I finally, I'll, I'll do a few big ones. I finally watched Lost Highway for the first time. 
Yes. Did you love it? Oh, so I, I, I did. Um, it took me a while because I had to kind of sit on it. Right. Like it, it, it's one of those movies. And this is how I am with Lynch. I don't, like when the movie ends, I don't immediately typically love his movies. I have to like really? sit on them for like a day or two. Let them. Yeah. I need them to like really sink in and let me sort of figure out what I think about. And Jinx and I still need to have like a conversation on this about like what I think that movie's about because Lynch obviously sort of like gives you all of the pieces, but doesn't put the puzzle together for you. <laughs> so there's, <laughs> like probably a thousand ways to interpret what's happening inside of lost highway. But um, my overall impressions without going deep into like some crazy conspiracy theory, about what I think that movie means, um, man, does it build dread just so damn effectively. Uh, mm. Every frame of that film, I'm just like terrified. And I don't, I often don't know why, uh, you know, it's just the, the way it's filmed, the way it's framed, the way the characters are acting, um, you know, the whole Bill Pullman beginning where he's just this weird, defeated, in like sort of stuck inside himself mm-hmm. dude. Uh, it's just so uncomfortable and unnerving and unpleasant. Um, and then you get those great moments like the, at the party with the phone call where it's just very bizarre and, and a bit supernatural leaning but it never fully goes there or again mm-hmm. explains what it's attempting to do um i just i think it's a really rich it's a very rich experience of a movie that i think i'm going to be mulling over for a very long time yeah that's how he generally affects people <laughs> i uh it is it is in my own personal top 10 um i just i i adore that movie so much and i'm not going to start talking about it because if i did we would be here for the next two and a half hours yeah i so, hesitated to bring it up because i was like oh this is gonna be like a long one but no yeah. I'm, I'm i'm going to hold the conversation for paul and i to have like privately one day where we can uh we can hash out our different theories that that there could be a lost highway podcast as a matter of fact i have an idea <laughs> but never mind not right now uh i i will no, just i will enter when he was mentioning Christmas Carol, you know, if you if you want to watch a good scary film around Christmas, the the, the one with Alistair Sim is the one you want to watch because it's got some Hammer people, a couple of Hammer actors. That in it, is you know? creepy. Yeah, I just Miles I just Allison watched Bennett, that one. Brad actually. Johnson. Yeah, there, yeah, there's two Hammer character actors in that movie, and it, you, it has kind of a Hammer feel to me. Were either of them Jimmy Fallon? <laughs> no he was the third yeah yeah right right, right. <laughs> no I, I i i just watched that film and yes i agree it's it definitely the most hammer feeling of them and the one that leans sort of the most into the ghost story elements especially the ones the early scrooge adaptations it's a shame that hammer never made one directly that would have been really cool yeah and uh, in that one they had miles malison fred johnson uh the like three smaller hammer actors in it but there's enough of them doing you know giving an atmosphere that it lends to the you know i just it, it's always my whole life giving me that kind of hammer vibe i, I like that version yeah good version um, okay w- everyone real fast hammers a christmas carol how are we casting it cushing is oh scrooge, wow right? yeah cushing well, is scrooge cushing is scrooge is obvious I yeah okay where where do we fit in Christopher Lee, like yeah. he's got to be. Uh, he's the third, the ghost of Christmas. He's the, yeah, he's the yeah. future. Yep. 
All right. Where where does uh, Barbara Shelley fit in? The ghost oh, he's, of uh, Christmas past, maybe. I would I, I would make her the lost love of Scrooge. Ooh, oh yeah, that's the a one that got yes. away. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Tiny Tim. Ralph <laughs> that's actually very good uh yeah, yeah i'm not gonna argue and it was that. instant too i like that all right yeah. where the hell are we putting michael ripper oh he's michael ratchet oh he's, he's the guy that sells everybody's clothes and sits in there and sells the bed sheets the oh yeah the miles Nelson rule. <laughs> i love it i love it i want to see this now damn it uh all right make camera make this film <laughs> yeah, well, they're still around. Somewhere. You could make could Michael go, Cratchit, or Goff, or whatever. Uh, he'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Let's see I that. Think could, I think he could pull it off. I actually think he, he could do it. But but who directs? I mean, Terrence Fisher. The, the Fisher. easy answer is Terrence Fisher. But I will ask: Is Terrence Fisher perfectly suited to that particular story? He can do anything, but you know, if I had to, if I had to pick somebody else, it wouldn't be Freddie Fran. It would be Roy Ward Baker. Roy Ward Baker, yeah. Yeah. I was just about to say. Yeah. I mean, he did a Night to Remember. Like, I could totally see the guy who made that doing a Christmas Carol. Like, there's emotion. And he Vampire Lovers, yeah. So. Yeah. Like, there's definitely, you know, and he did Quatermass in the pit. So yeah. Like, there, there's a, there's a, like, I could totally see him pulling that off. But I, I think Fisher, I think, would, would be the – I mean, even though it's the obvious answer, I think it would be the most interesting, too. Especially if this was, like, in like a late 50s, early 60s adaptation. Like yeah. Everyone in their prime, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I uh, – to wonder. Uh, okay. Paul, do you have anything else? Uh, yeah. Uh, there's, what, like, two more I want to talk about. Um Sorry, I have to pull it back up. So the big new one I watched was Last Night in Soho. I finally saw Last Night in Soho. Ah, yes. Because it hit VOD, and that is when I watch things. (laughs) Because I don't really go to the theater. Um, Or at least I haven't since Invisible Man, um, pre-pandemic. So anyway, uh, Last Night in Soho, Edgar Wright's new movie. I've heard a lot of mixed things about it. Um, my thing, and I, and I get, I guess I get like criticisms of it and stuff, but I really loved it. I thought it was great. Like for me, it would rank only behind Shaun of the Dead in my Edgar Wright catalog. So I thought it was, I thought it was great. I thought it was his most mature movie. I thought it showed a lot of growth as a filmmaker. Um, I think it's a, it's about a lot of things. It's a busy movie. It's got a lot going on and it doesn't definitively come down on a lot of those things in terms of what it's trying to say or what, you know, what's going on with the character. But I actually would say that's one of its strengths. So for example, like the main girl in the film can, I mean, for lack of a better explanation, she can see ghosts. She's, (laughs) she's, I see dead people person. Uh, And, You know, they sort of establish at the beginning of the film that she kind of like sees her mother from time to time. Hmm. And I think the and and I don't know, I I don't mean to be like spoilery, but that doesn't really tie into where the movie goes. And some people see that as a problem. I actually think that's a really smart sort of window dressing for the character's background, like that she casually 
sees these things, has gotten used to it, and knows how to live with it. So that way we understand when this character sort of now encounters more powerful, malicious spirits, we have a, a baseline understanding of, of what that relationship looks like and why she's ill-equipped to deal with something more malicious. Um, so I, I think the movie is really smart about how it's set up and, you know, I, and then again, how it sort of deals with, cause it's kind of a, a movie that takes place simultaneously in the present day and the mid sixties following, uh, t- you know, the, the girl who's living now that has this sort of mental connection with the spirit world, seeing, uh, a, a different woman's life back then and kind of watching the events that led to her, well, question mark. We don't know what is going to happen to her, and, and but we know it's kind of bad because it, it's got this building mounting tension. And there's a lot of really interesting stuff about, um, you know, the way the, the patriarchal way in which the entertainment industry is ran and how dangerous that is and how horrific uh, it, it was and is and can be for women. Um, mm. it goes to some really fascinating places, some really upsetting places. It has a pretty big finale that I was really entertained by. Um, I saw a lot of the twists and turns coming, to be honest, like nothing really surprised me about it. I just thought it was all really well done. So mm. for me, um, I really, really liked last night in Soho. It'll probably end up being one of my, uh, more preferred films of the year, to be honest. I'm going to write that down. I haven't seen it. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I, uh, I was really entertained by it. <laughs> it's superb. I uh, I watched. That's one of the things that I watched this past week. I watched it again for a second time when it hit VOD. And I got to say, once you kind of know what the movie's game is, uh, it, it's even more entertaining watching it the second time. I think. Obviously, you don't get the surprise again, but um, well, I think to be honest with you, real... oh no, I was just gonna say I. I figured it out pretty quick. Like it didn't surprise me. Like, you know, the, the twist of the movie would like for me was broadcasted pretty clearly in the first act. Oh, not but, at all for me. Not at all. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And I, and I mean, maybe it was just the headspace I was in, you know, like sometimes was, you're just I sort of delighted by the fact that I had no idea that that was, as a matter no, of fact, that's I, cool. was, I, I mean, that's awesome. Is the fact that I sort of bought into the? I don't know if you saw both of the film's trailers, but there is a bit of. I didn't. I didn't see any okay, of the advertising. So I, this is the one instance where marketing not only did it not ruin the film, but it actually helped. I think keep that surprise because, and I can't get into it obviously because then it right, was, right, it's, yeah, we there, don't want to spoil anything. There yeah. is an aspect of the film's marketing across both of those trailers. That's a bit of sleight of hand that. Okay. So to me, I went into it with a certain expectation that I knew what the movie was based on the trailers that were put out there. And then once you get into the movie in that final act, you realize it's like, okay, the movie was trying to do that a little bit, but because I came into the movie with the expectation that the trailers, you know, that the trailers had sold me, I, I completely looked beyond anything and over anything that might've clued me in as to what the hell was going on. Sure. So. sure. No, that's cool. That's awesome. 
So That's this w- this would be the rare instance where I would say, you know what? Go ahead, listeners, and watch that teaser trailer and watch <laughs> the theatrical trailer because it yeah, might yeah. actually improve the viewing and maybe help preserve the the, the film's big secret or okay. in a way secrets. Uh, you know, there's a smaller one too that actually now that I think about it, the trailer kind of pushes too, which is great. But no, I. I, I adored the movie. Uh, I agree with you. I think it's my second favorite, right? Uh, arguably, here's the thing. It's like, I don't think anything's ever going to top Shaun of the Dead, but it, because it's just so much damn fun and it means a lot to me. And But at the same time, like, yeah, while that one might be my favorite, I'm not convinced that Last Night in Soho isn't his best film. Uh, like you hmm. said, Paul, I think it is his most mature film to date. Um yeah. He's, he's obviously wrestling with some really deep, dark, heavy stuff, and he's doing so in a way that, you know, he doesn't feel the need to encumber the story with a lot of the visual flourishes that we usually find so much fun in his work. Um, I, I, I appreciated the fact that he was so restrained. Um, I say restrained, and then, you know, there are... Yeah, there it's, are it's pretty bombastic at parts. Film, you know, uh, there yeah. really are. But uh, but no, no, I, I, I really did love it. And uh, it, watching it the second time only cemented the fact that I think it's one of the year's best. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I can't sing its praises highly enough. I, I adore Last Night in Soho. So, yeah, that was that was one of my only watches this week. I will get to my other one here in a minute. But uh, before we do, Paul, you had one more? Yeah, um, I just wanted to plug because it's a couple days before uh, Thanksgiving my annual horror movie watch of Blood Rage from 1987, <laughs> uh, which I think is important to mention. Just to remind horror fans out there that there is people always say there's not a lot of Thanksgiving horror, which there isn't. I mean, of course, we have Thanksgiving and some other things like that. But Blood Rage uh, <laughs> is is a classic in our hearts and minds that we should all return to to remember that it's not cranberry sauce. And it is, in fact, blood. Uh, and you know, we got a story of, uh, two twins, uh, one doing some murders at a drive-in switching places and then coming back later and, and killing people. And, and, and frankly, this movie feels like, it feels like it was written by aliens who came down, rented like three random dollar movies from the video store watched those movies and thought that's what human interaction was like, okay, this is how humans talk. This is what they do. And then they themselves wrote a movie and then people Mm. attempted to act out the script. Those aliens wrote, that's what blood rage is. Um, Mm. And it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's very entertaining. And uh, I think it's, it's a perfect Thanksgiving watch. So check Mm. out blood rage. (laughs) (laughs) Cannot argue with that one at all. I I adore that. It's such a weird mix where some of it is, if we're being honest here, some of it is incredibly inept filmmaking, but then there oh, is God, some stuff yes. in it yeah. that, I mean, th- but there are moments that are but genuinely shocking and terrifying. And I mean, there's, there's a murder sequence in an involving woman who just the way it's shot with this swiping camera and this face that she pulls. And then I, I, I there are moments of just absolute genius in this. Yeah. Otherwise this, this stew. Well, of, then there's, uh, there's scenes with like two people having sex on a diving board for some reason while a baby is nearby. <laughs> like it doesn't it doesn't have to make sense. You know, there's there's just a lot of weirdness. There's there's the weirdest cleavage you've ever seen on the mother in the movie. She just says, I don't know how to explain it other than her cleavage is weird. And uh, uh, it's it's uncomfortable. Most of the movies uncomfortable, especially when there's interpersonal interactions. But I mean, what what else are we doing if not watching uh, crappy, uh, you know? 
slashers from the late 80s. I mean, that's especially yeah. holiday themed ones that we have to watch every year. It's like a requirement <laughs> of being a horror fan. <laughs> Black Christmas. There you go. Yeah, every year you got to put them on. Now there's three Black Christmases we have to watch. <laughs> oh, jeez. I don't know that we have to, Paul. But I like 2006, them all, but... 2019, and 1974. Wow. I do like them all to varying degrees. Uh, it took me a while in 2006 to come around, but uh, but eventually I did, and I think that movie's kind of fun. It's, it's, it's the Black Christmas starring uh, Yellow Bastard from Sin City. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, you know, you, you just hit, you just hit on uh, uh, the movie before that. You know how you could figure the plot out pretty fast. <clears throat> and, yeah. Uh, I kind of, you know, I I started watching the TV show Lost when it first started, and uh, I didn't realize I figured I figured it out in the first season, and then I wasted five years of my life. So that's one <laughs> I would not recommend. Bomber, please, please, whatever you do, Bomber, yes. do not get no, I agree with Bomber. Boss. No, I agree with him. I agree 100%. That show is an absolute waste of everyone's time. <laughs> I just, I, I thought that it was going to be some great thing at the end, so I waited five years. And yeah, then agreed. the original ending that I figured out in the second episode happened. Yeah, I am so amazed. And then it was the just ending. bad. I'm stunned that you figured out the ending because I'm not certain the people who made the show had figured out they the ending. They didn't. So. That's the problem with the yeah. show is they didn't know what the hell they were doing. And so they, anyway, now, yeah, I lost. Bad, yeah. Bad, bad, oh. bad, bad, bad show. I agree. All <laughs> right. Um, Allie, Bomber, do either of you have anything else to mention before I uh, I spend like two seconds talking about my thing and we dive into the commentary? No, I talked about Bowfinger. I'm good. All right. Yeah, Bomber, how about you? No, I both finger that that did me. <laughs> okay. Love it. <laughs> Love it. All right. I have not gotten the chance to watch much horror in the past week. I, like I said, I rewatched last night in Soho. It gets my highest possible recommendation. I do adore that movie. Um, I know I talked a little bit about this last week, but I'm going to go ahead and mention it again since there was a new episode this week. I am digging the hell out of Dexter New Blood. Um, it is it is it's pretty much exceeding my expectations for the show. Honestly, anything and again we've talked about it at length on this show. While I like the finale, I will admit that the last season was pretty not great. And if you know so the bar was set pretty low for this reboot season or this revival, whatever you want to call it. But honestly, like it hurtled that bar immediately like in the opening sequence of the first episode. And now, honestly, it is, it is, it's tracking to be one of the best seasons, like on par with those early seasons. And I think that's got to be due in no small part to them bringing back the original showrunner who did the first four seasons, which are widely considered to be the best in the show. This is a great companion piece to the original show. It's a great sequel. It's a great, depending on how it ends, it might just be an epilogue for the character. Um, But it's marvelous to finally see that character uh, put in really uncomfortable situations that he has to, you know, one of the pleasures of that show when it first started out was seeing this guy painted, painting himself really into corners and then figuring out how to get out of them. And just seeing the screws put to him, and he's a guy who has to use his intellect and his charm and his cunning to keep his secret, but also keep satisfying his uh, his urge to kill, you know, at least as we're bad people. And uh, 
you know, with some of the later seasons, and certainly Paul and I have talked about this at length, the writing tended to get lazier and lazier so that it would just rather than have the character figure out those issues, the uh, the showrunners would do it for them, you know, because who needs drama? Who needs conflict? Um, you know, and uh, so it's very nice to see with this uh, this revival season that they are returning that character to his roots in a way, even though he couldn't be in a more different uh, uh, setting. You know, uh, it, it's just so much fun to see Michael C. Hall playing that character that we like so very much skirt so perilously close to getting outed as a serial killer. Yeah, I mean, it's that great Hitchcockian thing where, uh, you know, it's 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 Norman Bates standing at the side of the lake and the, the car doesn't fully submerge, you know, and <laughs> and we and we're afraid for him. Why are we afraid? Why are we tense? over this guy, you know, about to get caught. Why do we want the car to sink? You know, and that's totally the case with, uh, with Dexter, you know, it's, it's one of the great pleasures of that character in that show. You like like the character. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I, I would say that this, uh, this season so far, three episodes in is absolutely tops and among the, the, the best writing and, uh, direction that the character has seen in, uh, well, since his very early years. So if anybody is on the fence and Paul, I'm not just looking at you here, but if anybody is on the (laughs) fence about watching this new iteration of the character based solely on the last couple of seasons, the seasons of the show, which admittedly went a little South. If you were ever a fan of the character, go ahead and dive right into the season. You'll be able to catch up pretty quickly. It's a great jumping on point for people who you know it doesn't rewrite any of the continuity from the previous seasons but neither still do you have to be well versed in it to enjoy what's going on giving it a thumbs up so far i'm hoping really really hoping that they can maintain the quality throughout the season and that they can stick the landing because it's pretty fucking great so far Hmm. that makes me think of uh the netflix series uh you jog my memory uh you ah yeah you i just watched the whole thing yeah, it's in. Yeah, I just watched the whole thing too. I've watched all three seasons now, and uh, I, I there's just something about you know I just that's one of those characters that you root for the bad guy, you know. Totally. And why do we do that? I don't know. But uh, but yeah, it's like an easy A. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, at least in Dexter's case, we could say, well, you know, he, he's killing bad people, so I don't know if that's justified or not. In Joe's case, in you, I'm like, why do I want this guy to get away with it? Like, he's 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 a complete bastard, and yet, this son yeah. of a bitch is charming, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like yeah. Walter White and Breaking Bad, you know? It's like, he's he's a monster, but he's your protagonist, and because mm-hmm. of that, you know, you're used to watching a, a narrative and you're used to pulling for the trials and tribulations of the character that is in your purview. And if that just happens to be a a, a, a person of questionable morals, you know, you're willing to sort of forgive that in lieu of the story. You know, you're like, oh, well, I, I'm, I'm interested in the success of this thing. Yeah. And well, yeah, I, think I think it's. Yeah. I was going to say, I think you can argue that Joe and you, I think everybody he kills uh, deserves it. <laughs> you know, just maybe maybe not. Part. Maybe not Beck. Poor Beck. No, oh, poor Beck. Kind yeah, she kind of did. Yeah, she kind of had it. <laughs> she treated him bad. She wasn't great. We can calm down on everyone, you know. 
<laughs> I, you know, Paul, I, I would agree. You know, I almost would argue with you on that point that you made in Walter White's case, because I feel like with a lot of characters like Dexter, like Walter White, you know, we are given that save the cat moment early on where it's like, well, it's hard not to root for the guy who's just trying to provide for his family, you know, knowing that he's he's staring down death and he's not going to be around much longer. And that's that's what fuels his villainy. It, you know, it's all rooted in a place of good, at least early on. But, Paul, I think you're ultimately right and exactly right when you consider that that also works for characters that never really had a save the cat moment. I mean, fuck it. Look at the Sopranos. Was Tony Soprano ever presented as a good guy ever? Like, we know no. who that guy is. He's no. a slimy son of a bitch. No. And yet we love him. Yeah. 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 I, and, and, and like to your point, Jinx, like even the characters that get that save the cat moment, I mean, dear God, by season four, Walter White's done <laughs> so many horrible <laughs> fucking things. The idea that we would yeah. like root for him for two more seasons <laughs> after that, you know, Allie, and I'm not for Darren yeah. Frankenstein. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. For God's <laughs> sakes, after Frankenstein must be destroyed. He comes into this movie like the fucking hero, which we'll talk about in a minute. But like, he's like, look at how great he's saving the day. He's like, just after what he did in the previous film. I know. But, um, love the continuity though with the hands though and the gloves. Right, 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 right. But yeah. in some wonderful alternate reality, I'd like to think that Victor Frankenstein would have gotten by and would have funded his uh, his underground operations by just selling a little blue meth on the side. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, why not? <laughs> who would who would his Jesse be? Uh, it would have to it would be whoever Hans. It would be whoever it would be. Paul, they would be named Hans. You're absolutely right. <laughs> it'd be a, it'd be a young pretty boy named Hans, <laughs> oh, or Carl, maybe Carl, or Carl, or Carl, or, or Carl. Carl. Oh, that's Dracula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get two cloves, and they're two different people, but they have the same name. I love that about that series. Yeah, they yeah. You got to just kind of rub some Vaseline on the lens when it comes to the continuity of some of those movies. And I, I just, oh, yeah. I kind of adore it. You some, know, of, like, some of the continuity like that, though, it's like so close that it feels like they're trolling the audience a little bit. Like, it's like, <laughs> yeah. we're just going to fuck with them. <laughs> like, they know what they're doing. Wait yeah. a second. Uh, what's a what's a good name for this guy? How about Cloves? Didn't we call somebody Cloves in the last one? Yeah, fuck, I remember. That was, that was years ago. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Well, it's not like these things are ever going to be available for home viewing and scrutiny one day. Yeah, true. <laughs> All right, gang. Tell you what, uh, now that we're talking about Frankenstein, I am itching to go ahead and get into this commentary. Tell you what, as we always do, both all of us and all of our listeners out there, together, let's go ahead and queue up whatever media we have. I am slurring already, and I'm only one glass of brandy in. I don't know what that says about me. Uh, we dive into this, is everybody You're such drinking? a lush. I, I, I used to be, and I still am. Um, yeah. What are we drinking tonight? I got to tell you all, I am, uh, I'm drinking some Paul Masson brandy, and uh, the only reason I mention the name is whenever I hear the name Paul Masson, I am inevitably reminded of the uh, that <laughs> that Paul Masson wine commercial with Orson Welles, the outtakes where he was drunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, there is a French champagne. So I, I love it when... Uh, <laughs> Isn't there, is that a Shit's Creek episode where yes, Catherine O'Hara does the same kind of thing with mm-hmm. wine? Yeah, that's yeah. so funny. I love how his intro is supposed to be like, aha, uh-huh, the French have a blah, blah, blah. 
and by his third take, he is so pissed. I think they're like, um, <laughs> um, um, action Orson. <laughs> so anyway, you give me a couple more glasses of this brandy and, uh, yeah, that's, that's going to be me in this commentary, but is everybody else yeah. drinking? And if so, what are you drinking? Cobalt dry gin. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's, it's great stuff. Yeah, I got a little uh, machine here where I can I can pour uh, half a bottle in and a half bottle of tonic water, push a button, mixes it up, and spits it out. Oh, damn. That, that's the that's, dream. That's some fancy stuff. That's mm. that's a damn sight fancier than what I'm doing. So. <laughs> and I'm in I, this. <laughs> I, uh, I just finished a left-hand Black Forest Cherry Chocolate Nitro Stout. Damn it, Holy Paul! She had me and, for the first fifty words of that. Uh, I I had a, <laughs> that. Yeah, that sounds like something you put on pancakes. It's good. <laughs> it's good shit, man. And now I just cracked open a uh, a brick a Brooklyn brewery black chocolate stout. It's a a, a, a Russian imperial stout. So it's maybe uh, it's, maybe mix it with some peanut butter and do the Reese's. Hey, man! Here. You know what? That that <laughs> I I did have some peanut butter chocolate beer earlier. That was pretty tasty. I'm not even kidding. That shit's good. Wow, you guys uh, have crazy beers in the states. We have like just normal IPAs. I and, still like, have IPAs. I'm just, I'm just, you know, it's, it's holiday all... times. So I like to, like to get some fancy stuff. You know, I, I've got a, a couple. I got some Boston lagers on reserve, like for when I'm done with my fancy beers. So, <laughs> I've got some shit set aside. I'm good. All right, Allie, how about you? I am drinking a. Summer's Bee, which is a cider from Ontario. Is that Richard Don't... Gere movie? Is it? Is Summer's Bee a movie? Yeah, it's like him and uh, Jodie Foster, I think, from the mid-90s, like a Western. I don't know. <laughs> Summer's Bee. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is it really? I, don't I think know. so, yeah. Yeah, I yeah that's where she met her wife. Yeah. Oh, well then, oh, yes, this is the cider based off that movie, obviously. Nice. Hmm. All right, gang, so we all know what we're getting pissed to this evening. Let's go ahead and cue up our media. Now, can I ask, uh, around the table, what is everybody watching? I will start. I am queuing this up. Even though I own the Blu-ray, it is easier for me. I went ahead and queued it up on Prime. Bomber, how about you? I queued it up on Blu-ray, and I'm on the a Hammer production page. I got it frozen. Good idea. Everybody, no matter what you're watching, let's go ahead and skip by the Paramount logo, which I'm sure a lot of us have. Paul, what are you watching? Uh, I have the UK import uh, release of it. It's a Blu-ray. You fancy uh, bastard. Nice. Yeah, it's like the shock release. I like the transfer on that one. And it's got a nice little commentary that's pretty cool. I really do envy you for some of these uh, some of these releases, man. Like I'm, you you edge me closer and closer to buying a uh, a, a region free player with every conversation we have. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, I yeah. multi region's <laughs> been like a, a godsend as a collector. Like it's it's just wonderful. I highly, highly recommend it. Damn indicator, William Castle sets. Like, uh, if oh yeah, yeah. If all this were available and they hadn't sold out, I would be that that would. Well, be you know, a, you can. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that was it. No, I've got. Oh, well, you can yeah, those, you can get all of those discs individually. Like, because really? I, I I ended up buying uh, like Mister Sardonicus and Thirteen Ghosts and yeah, because the transfers are so great and you still you know it's uh, all the special yeah. features. They're just not in a box, so it's like you know you can still get all of those movies. You need to do a William a Castle drinking series. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I was just sitting Ooh, here thinking like, good. okay, what 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 
what synonym for getting uh, hammered or getting drunk begins with a C? Because uh, it's got to be like getting something. Uh, well, and, and Castle. Castle lends himself to being drunk during his movies. <laughs> exactly. I love him so much. I love yeah, when William Castle was 50, he looked 80. Yeah. Allie, <laughs> yeah. how about you? You said, oh, no, wait. Uh, yes. What are you uh, What are you watching this evening? Oh, uh, so on Saturday, I went to my partner's place because he's who I get all my stuff off of because I am poor and he is not. Well, he is too. Um and I was like, you got Frankenstein and the monster from hell? And he was like, what? No. And then proceeded to buy it on a one-day shipping that day. And it arrived yesterday. And I'm like, cool. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this. Is that I'm gonna cool? I'm going to take your new thing. Like, you just <laughs> bought this. But I'm going to open your mail and just take it. That's fine, right? You're cool with this? All right. Thanks, Bay. So I'm watching it on the Scream Factory Blu-ray so far. Oh, Very nice. Nice. Yeah, that's what I got. Yeah, the Rock Scream on. release is good, too. That's a good release. Allie, you have to drag Chris back onto the podcast. He appeared in the early iteration of the show, but I know he's a Hammer fan, right? Like, he's he's oh, got to come in and chat at some point. He's so into Hammer, and he does want to come back on the show. We just have to, like, do do it. <laughs> I guess it's here. I just have to be like, he's got to hey, make it happen. What Monday works for you? Yeah, just ask him. And then he'll just sit here and lecture us for, you know, two hours about all the things that he knows. That's fine. I'm cool with that. Mm. That that means yeah. I I have to do less work, so I like that. Like if someone else is talking, I don't have to talk. Oh, literally, like, <laughs> I was like, okay, what are all your fun facts about this movie that I can like spit out on the podcast? He's like, oh, nothing. Like there's there's some some uh, some operation scenes that are pretty graphic, and uh, it's Terrence Fisher's last movie. Just talk about that. And I'm like, Ugh, useless. <laughs> yeah, we could do that for ninety <laughs> minutes, sure. <laughs> just play a little jazz um and that's gonna be easier to do the more we drink um all right gang so let's go ahead and cue it up to where a hammer production is just peeking through and i will say right off the bat it kind of sucks about this great movie and i do love this movie that it has maybe the most unimaginative titles in the entire hammer filmography (laughs) literally it just says a hammer production and then we pan over to some shit like it's that that's it so that's all you need it gets down to brass tacks i mean look terrence fisher was getting up there in age he was having back problems you know he just wanted to get the shit done that's what boils down to all right rolling you know (laughs) all right gang uh so a hammer production let's go ahead and do the countdown listeners out there get ready to press play i know you're gonna not press play you're not listening to this as a commentary you're listening to this during your commute i know how this works but my brother did it as a commentary he, he watched it during Shut the movie. Up. Did he really? Yeah, he did. He did. Neil. Neil's got to come evil. on at some point. Neil's got to come on to talk <laughs> He's a listener. And let me talk shit to him about Christine Brown. We're not going to nope. get into Christine Brown. Just do Brown. the countdown. Do the countdown. No, no, no. I'm going to say it. I'm going to talk shit to him about Christine Brown. Not now. But eventually. Soon. Yes. All right. Ready, everyone, in five. Okay, when I say play, press play. Ready in five. Four, three. Did somebody already press press play? I'm I'm hearing somebody somebody jumped the gun, didn't they? Who no. did it? Raise your hand. <laughs> okay, ready in five, four, three, two, one, and play a hammer production. So that's letters on a screen, and then we pan over. Now I gotta say, 
I was doing a little bit of research on this movie, not only the Hammer story, which is a great, that's the Hearn Barnes book, which is fantastic, but also there is a great book called The Hammer Frankenstein by Bruce G. Hallenbeck. I haven't referred to it in a while because, well, frankly, we haven't had a Frankenstein movie in a while to talk about, but they did note at the very beginning that by this point in Hammer's history, and Paul and I have talked about this a little bit, I think throughout the entire course of Hammer Pub, going back before Ali's participation, that mm-hmm. James Carreras at one point was in danger of basically loosing the reins to hammer. He was floating the idea of selling the company, even Tygen, who you might know from blood, uh, blood on uh, fucking hell. I'm drunk. Thank you. Yes. Even Tygen was considering purchasing hammer. If you could imagine that before Michael Carreras ultimately pulled together the cash to buy out his father uh, now, at this point, this was in the early 70s. Horror they're, they're was... They're in the same building, even. Tygen and Hammer. Real? Okay, you got to tell us a bit mm-hmm. more about that here in a sec, because I want to know about that. I did not realize that. Um, they did note, and I didn't realize this too, but it makes sense before The Exorcist hit the screen in 74, that horror was in decline at this point. Uh, it was becoming yeah. more and more difficult to secure any sort of financing for major studios. In yeah. fact, their old standby rank actually turned down funding this particular movie. Uh, so Michael Carreras got the bulk of the film's budget from Paramount, uh, the U.S. Mm-hmm. studio, obviously. And apparently, in exchange, Paramount secured the distribution rights to every territory, with the exception of the U.K. But even then, the budget was a slim £160,000. And that should tell you where Hammer was at this point, where they needed a U.S. studio to bail them out. Yeah, they were, they were then, faltering. Yeah, and even then, but getting bailed out gets them a budget that pales in comparison to what they had worked with in their heyday. And uh, But weirdly enough, even still, this was a Frankenstein movie. This was one of the big two for them. Uh, and as a result, because of everything writing on this film, Hammer decided against continuing down that more experimental path set forth by the uh, – which I love it – but. <laughs> set forth by the Ralph Bates-led reboot that was the horror of Frankenstein, and they returned Peter Cushing to the role of Frankenstein. And thank goodness they did, yeah. because the man deserved a better epilogue, I think. He deserved a better denouement for the character than, uh, well... Yeah, <laughs> than, yeah. Than yeah. Peter Cushing stuff. was on set watching him film the horror of Frankenstein. Yeah, and that's Veronica. A, I think you've thrown up that photo before, right, of he and Bates on set together? Yeah, I've got three or four mm-hmm. photos I, I throw up of that. There was a great sort of the, – the, I love the idea of him passing the baton, uh, Cushing to Bates. But uh, ultimately, even though I do love the horror of Frankenstein, I genuinely do. Uh, I mean it's – when it comes to Hammer Frankenstein, it's Cushing's role, and I'm, I'm so glad that he got one is last it, role. Is, it, is anyone here kind of like freaked out that Clove from Scars of Dracula looking exactly like he did in that movie – is playing the grave robber here. <laughs> I like to think that he's I the exact same person. It's in continuity, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I want more of it. <laughs> yeah, I just keep waiting for Christopher Lee to come out and whip him right now, you know? <laughs> Why be kind is of it badass that... if the final Frankenstein film combined continuities? <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Missed yeah, Patrick Troughton. Exactly. Yes. Why is it, I was going to ask, why is it Patrick Troughton, you know, even though he played kind of the space hobo that was Doctor Who, he was, he was, he was fairly well put together, as it were, you know, he had a, he had a snappy bow tie, as it were, but every time he appears in a Hammer film, he looks, yeah. uh, 
He looks a little rough. He looks a little yeah, ragged. Scars of Dracula. Uh, this was in uh, what else? Uh, Viking Queen. Was it? Oh, uh, Evil of Franken. No. Trying. Well, yeah, Evil of Frankenstein. He was, or was it? No, the Gorgon. He played a. The uh, Phantom of the Opera too, right? Yeah, he did about five. I love Trout, and I really do. Uh, oh, guys, his... wait, wait till the people over on the other sides hear this, and I don't have the exact number right. He played six. Oh, no. <laughs> You're not a real Hammer fan. <laughs> and you recognize the guy here, the uh, the guy serving him drink. You know, he's he's obviously an alcoholic. The guy serving him drinks here is the uh, barman from uh, Vault of Horror, the, uh, you know, the blood clot oh, segment. Yeah. No. I thought he looked really familiar, but I couldn't quite place him. Yeah, he stuck the tap on the guy's neck. Oh, wow. Love it. That's a great anthology. I know, you know, a lot of love gets Thank thrown uh, toward Tales from the Crypt and, Tales you know, for obvious Crypt. reasons. But I think The Vault of Horror yeah. is every bit as good and in some ways a better film. Yeah, they did a, a five good ones like uh, uh, starting off with uh, Dr. Chair's House of Horrors, Torture Garden. I really enjoyed that. The post segment, which was supposed to have... Christopher Lee, Jack Palance took his place. Then what's the third one? Uh, oh, uh, House of Drip Blood, Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror, and From Beyond the Grave. Six. Gotta love Amicus. Wow. I mean, a British horror during this period. Hammer, Amicus, Tigan. Like, what a time to be a horror fan, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then they were all copying Hammer. I mean, like I said, you know, Tigan even had their offices in the Hammer, Hammer House. I think they're on Warder Street. Uh, they're all closely connected, used the same actors, a lot of the same directors. And uh, yeah. like The Skull, you know, they didn't have much going on written for The Skull, Amicus. And the Hammer guys came in, Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing. I can't remember who, I think Freddie Francis directed that. And they bailed him out and kind of wrote a, wrote that script on the fly, you know. So. <laughs> and it's funny, I wonder if there was any sort of, you know, since they did share so much, not only a market, but, you know, all the various actors, I know that Amicus was born out of, you know, a little bit of animosity, you know, uh, yeah. in, in regards to Hammer, but I wonder if they eventually, if there was any sort of friendly competition or if they always hated one another. That's a good, good, uh, good idea for a book. <laughs> I want to see the then movie. You throw, then you got to throw Tyburn in there too. They had kind of the same thing going on. Now I'm not super familiar with them. What would be some of their bigger titles? Probably Blood on Satan's Claw, things like yeah. that. Oh, that oh Tiger. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, no, I love Blood on Satan's Claw. I, I think that movie is superb. Uh, that is, uh, and I think that's. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Is that getting a big re-release with that Severin box set that's coming up for full core, Paul? Do you know this or? Um, I don't. I well, I don't know if it's in that box set. That's a good question. I I bought the box set, <laughs> so I should know what's yeah. in it. But uh, I haven't I haven't looked at the title release yet of everything. I know it's got like sixteen movies in there, so I wouldn't be surprised if it is. Because I gotta it's say, like out of uh, yes, yeah, there. Uh, it's I think it's kind of a response to that. Uh, Big documentary. Christopher Lee collection. Yeah, they they just put that up. I picked I picked that up, and uh, yeah, and that documentary jinx is going to be in that set as well. Nice. Okay, it, because when it comes to uh, folk horror, like you, you got the Wicker Man at the top, and then Blood on Satan's right. Claw has to be like number two, and then everything else follows after. I think Witchfinder General. Yeah, oh, that's I, a great one too. I love Witchfinder General. Vincent Price is such a bastard in that one. Yeah, I wish they would have let him into Hammer films. He had so many 
shopping. Oh my god, that's know. that's my dream. It's like a to have a ham. Like, w- was there like a thing behind that? Like, did he ever was, have the opportunity? It was AIP. Or? Just yeah, they they would never let him. They had him oh, under okay. lock and key. He was gonna play one of the uh, gentlemen in. Uh, uh, Oh gee, uh, taste the blood of Dracula. One of the older oh, guys, maybe maybe oh, Linda Hayden's father bitch. type, and uh, he was set for that role, and they wouldn't let him do it. Yeah. Oh man, that would have been. And now one of the hammer experts special. on the other side to say he was not set for that role. He hadn't signed the contract, and then it's like I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you that that's uh, that's the way it is, and you can say whatever you want. You know, that's funny. No, but, no, but he was that was that was one of those roles was intended were intended was intended for him. Uh oh, the gin's kicking in, but um, <laughs> no. Uh, and there was one other he was supposed to do too. Uh, oh, he was supposed to play the John Pertwee role in House of Drip Blood as the vampire with Ingrid Pitt. Oh wow! Oh okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, and they wouldn't let him out for that either. You could almost tell that that role was written for him more than John Pertwee. You know, I mean, it it yeah, would make more sense that it would have been suppressed. Absolutely, because if you watch it, and if if you watch the part in the in the film when he's like berating the young producer, he's the Michael Reeves character with the with the you know the scope around his neck, and it's it's a complete takeoff on reality, uh, in of what happened in Witchfinder General because they didn't get along. You know, hmm. crazy. Um, so here. We have Shane Bryant, who we just saw in Captain Kronos, playing Dr. Simon Helder in a scene where he is in a court, and he might as well, for the way that he treats everyone in this court, it's very reminiscent of Cushing playing Frankenstein in The Revenge of Frankenstein. You know, he's he's, he's a little snotty. He's a little little above everyone in this court. He kind of takes them down a peg a little bit, you know, not too much. He's not as pronounced a bastard as... Cushing's Frankenstein was in the early days, but there is a little bit of a nod, I think, to that scene. Yeah, it's like the please send me to jail thing, yeah. <laughs> I, it's, I'm not even going to try and get out of it. Well, again, for like a for a final film in the cycle, I, I really like that, like building in not just like a sidekick, but a proxy for Frankenstein himself, like like a man who who is very much representative of him in his own youth and the hopes and mm-hmm. dreams and obsessions that he had and what, what he believed he would achieve and sort of being crashed, sort of trapped under the crushing weight of that intellect and that obsession right. um, and sort of them being then trapped together in this like literal representation of this vicious cycle that will never actually produce what right. either of them hope for. Is such yeah. a great way to conclude the cycle, I think. I, I can't prove it, you know, everybody out there. I can't prove it, but I think there was going to be another one after this because uh, I have some footage that I'll put up sometime this week of Peter Cushing in an interview around this time saying, you know, that, you know, we've got – and this is after, you know, he had already filmed uh, his last Frankenstein before this. He says, we've got two more on tap, which means there was this one and another one that we'll never, you know, we'll never see. Oh wow! Uh, mm-hmm. So they were. They, I think they were planning the way they the way they end this movie is. We'll see. They were planning on doing another one. I think. Hmm. I really wish that we had those movies, and yet at the same time, I will say one of the things that I love about this movie is that it ends on a note of, well, this will never end. He'll never stop. Like he'll never exactly. learn his lesson. Yeah. It's it's he'll. But what I uh, to Paul's point uh, too, like I. I, and I mean, we're jumping ahead to the very end of the movie here, sure, but fine, that's what we do. 
But I do love that not only does this provide like a, a, a very fitting sort of closure for Frankenstein where we realize that he's he's never going to stop. He's only ever going to continue until he dies. And even then, that might not stop him. It didn't before, you know. But at the right. same time, maybe in witnessing his madness and the fact that it's never going to end and what that road ultimately leads one to, right. maybe it shifts Simon just enough to where he can step off that road. You know, maybe he can yeah, learn his yeah. lesson early on. You know, maybe yeah. he, maybe Frankenstein can provide to Simon an example that he himself didn't have early on. Like, say, Paul, and you and I have talked about this for ages, like that bastard Cleave might have provided to him early on. Yeah. Yeah. Paul Kremper. Or Kremp, I'm sorry. Who was Cleave? Um, yeah, and, and yeah, that, that always frustrated Clove. me in the, the first one, that Paul was... You know, that Paul basically, like, absolved himself of any responsibility, even though he was essentially his father. <laughs> you know, like, it's it's yeah. so shitty that Paul raises this guy. And then when he starts sort of going down the wrong path, he's like, oh, well, I, I shed myself of you. Like, how dare yeah, you? Well, it's my, like, my take on that has always been when Paul met Elizabeth, you know, Hazel Court, he yeah. changed his ways because he wanted to get the girl. And uh, he's like... If she had never come into the movie, he'd probably be elbows deep in the monster, too, you know? Yeah, true, true, true. Well, and I think either way, it shows Paul's true colors, that, that, that yeah, Paul jerk. was out for, for number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, again, shows that, like, Frankenstein himself was never really around anyone that wasn't trying to get something from him. Um, you know, even yeah. even Hazel Court herself was, you know, sort of betrothed to him because of his wealth and status and their connection right. familiarly. So it's like there wasn't a natural rom- romance that led to that. Um, yeah, yeah. And I've had some of the other experts uh, say to me that, you know, the the each film, the Baron got progressively worse and uh, he became, you know, what he became. And I was like, you're forgetting in the first one, he took poor Professor Bernstein and shoved him off that dot. <laughs> you know, he was a murderer from mm-hmm. Jump Street, mm-hmm. you know. He is, and yet at the same time, you know, one of the things that I love about Cushing's up and down arc throughout the course of the cycle is that, you know, by the time you get to the evil of Frankenstein and Frankenstein created woman, he is something approaching a hero in those movies. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, he especially a created woman. Yeah. yeah, and I wonder if that's the closest thing that he ever felt to an actual family beyond Paul. Because yeah, those the, poor kids, you know? Yeah, Created Woman is, is is a really good movie. It's it's very overlooked, and uh, in that one, you're right. He 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 was uh, more heroic than anything in that. He didn't do anything. You know, that was when you're you're getting into the soul and stuff, and not really carving people up. So that yeah, that was kind of a an interesting take they did on that film. I think. Yeah, and and especially because like the the way he sort of comes upon the bodies and such isn't something that he actively, you know, he didn't murder somebody to get those materials. He just sort of took what was already there based on unfortunate circumstances, and he even stands up uh, for you know the character rather than just condemning him so he can get his body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He tries. That is the one time he tries. Yeah, to he stop tries to help Hans an execution. Yeah. He yeah. did try. He did try half-heartedly. <laughs> no, you know what I mean? Where he's like, is it impossible? Well, no, it's not impossible. Because he, he was it's almost like he was thinking in real time, like, hey, I could use his body. But 
Worth noting that we have just been introduced here to Madeline Smith, who might be mm. remembered from The Vampire Lovers. Read that, and I didn't know this beforehand, that the role was originally meant to go to Carolyn Monroe, but Michael Carreras yeah. elected to not have her in the role when Captain Kronos was packaged with Frankenstein for American distribution. So for whatever reason, and I, I it's a shame that we don't no, have Mark Vanderbilt on here, too, that, yeah. that we didn't have two Carolyn Monroe films playing back-to-back. I... That would have been amazing. I would have loved to have a double feature with Kronos and this with her in it. Like, yeah. Why would they take that away from us? Bastards. <laughs> okay. Can I, ask I mean, I do like Madeline Smith. Though. I mean, yes, yeah, obviously, of she course. Really um, yeah, we, we also Maybe got her in oh, Taste sorry, the Blood of Dracula, too, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. So to me, eventually by the end of this scene, there are obvious appliances on Simon, you know, where he's bleeding from the holes that have been wrought by the, uh, you know, the stream of water here. But like some of this early on looks pretty real, like the reddening of the skin. And I'm wondering if poor Shane Bryant just kind of took one for the team. And that was like (laughs) his natural reaction because he is obviously getting hosed down with high-powered water, so... Yeah, it sure looks like it. One wonders if he didn't suffer some actual abuse in I mean, that. It was a Hammer movie. <laughs> yeah, like he very well could yeah. have been sprayed very heavily. I, I also... I was I was watching some of the uh, making-ofs and stuff, and they pointed something out that I also... I actually noticed it when I was watching it the first time, because I had watched it close to the other movie, but I really like that in this movie, Frankenstein's visual introduction, that, that zoom oh, in... Is like a, a the same sort of introduction that Frankenstein's monster gets in James Whale's Frankenstein. Well, even yeah. uh, Christopher Lee and uh, Chris of Frankenstein. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting that they did it on the sure. Doctor himself. You know, yeah, like it, that, it provides that, a nice, that uh, sort of creates a bookend nature of the introduction of the character to the first Frankenstein, given that this is the finale. Yeah, it's yeah, and it's kind of like Terrence is like this is going to be your focal point, basically Zoom, you know. Yeah, it's cool. I like it, and it, it it's it's rarely done in a Fisher because Fisher's so careful with his camera work that when when you see that it it stands out more in a movie like this. And you know it's going to mean something. Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. I did read that for Cushing. You know, at this point he was maybe what a year or two after the passing of his wife, and he was acting. It was just one, and he was acting like mad, like taking any role that he could. And he had done an interview where he noted that, uh, you know, like this role, this particular role, playing Frankenstein again, it was another opportunity to continue working in the wake of his wife's passing. And he even referred at this time in an interview to this hectic schedule that he himself created as, quote, the answer to my prayers. Yeah, it's like Christopher Lee did six films of him in this period. My goodness. It's 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 Sorry. yeah, it's it's so sad for him and, and I know that like his relationship with his wife was so important to it for obviously I mean obviously, but like even more so. But um I, I did like they showed like uh his personal script for this film in one of the making ofs I watched, and like on the front cover he had all these like directions to himself that were really interesting, like very yeah. specific things like don't sniff. Always throw yeah. coattails up when sitting. Always read all printed directions. Don't grip back of furniture. You know, stuff like that. I was like, that's so don't great. Like, How meticulous he was. Oh. I read somewhere where he said that um, 
you know, in an interview, somebody asked how he how he crafted his performances, and his response was a very modest, uh, well, you know, I read the script and I learn my lines. But in fact, like all of the actors that he worked with said, no, he was incredibly, like, borderline fussy about getting everything just right with his performance, you know. Mm-hmm. Allie, I was going to ask you, uh, because you came into the podcast a little bit late, you know, we'd already, Paul and I had covered a few Frankensteins up until this point. I was going to ask you, have you seen all of the films in the Frankenstein cycle? And I was wondering what you made of the series as a whole. Paul and I have talked about it at length, but I was just wanting to get your read on it. Um, I'm trying to think if I've seen all the Frankenstein films in the Hammer canon. Um, I've seen Frankenstein Created Woman. And... Revenge of Frankenstein. And I feel like before Frankenstein, I literally... That might be the film where I think I've seen a bunch of times because I think I bought a 16mm print of it, but I can never remember if that's the film. But I'm pretty sure it's the film. Love it. So you have you seen uh, The Curse of Frankenstein, the original one with uh, Christopher Lee as the creature? I don't think I have. Oh, I envy you. I envy you for still having that first viewing ahead of you. It is it is brilliant. Yeah. No, and like, um, wait, is is Lady Frankenstein part of this or is that a different? That's a different. Yeah, that's EMI, I think, did that. OK, then never. Mind. OK. All right. Never I'm going to have to ask. Lady Frankenstein? What is this? It's, um, like, (laughs) uh, Frankenstein creates, like, you know, the the lady Frankenstein, and then he basically dies right away, and she creates her own Frankenstein to basically, like, have sex with. Oh, nice. I see. Like, it's a very romantic movie. Aw. Yeah, yeah, it is. The dead need love, too, guys. Is it, is it, is it like the You've Got Mail of Frankenstein films? Oh, Yeah. It was you all along. Like a feel good. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the one, you know, when you used to go to the video store, it was the one in the, in the really beat up case in the back that was 50 cents. That's that Mm -hmm. one. Yeah. You've got this. There's no coming back from that pun. Um, Let's see. Yeah. I did the podcast now. (laughs) Thus concludes Hammer Pub. Yeah. We're done it forever. Series is over. All right, so I don't even see this damn thing available on Blu-ray here, or even DVD, really. Uh, there's an import. It's not streaming. How the hell am I going to watch this thing? What? what? Lady Lady Frankenstein. Oh, uh, yeah, I immediately forgot what we were talking about. Um, do it. Do you know what's great? The, the illegal way. What's great? <laughs> what's great is Peter Cushing's hairpiece. What? You mean that's not his natural, beautiful hair? He actually collaborated with the makeup person to design that wig for him, which in no way connects his look to any previous version of the character. I want to know why those luscious locks? Like, why why did they settle on that? Well, I think I think that that was uh, the makeup guys, Uh, because that's the one where he said he looked like Helen Hayes or Helen Hay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I I don't think he was too in favor of it. But I think it's, he... I think maybe they're trying to make sure that you realize what the time period is. I think that's kind well, of the, a big Victorian the, look or Yeah. And the weird thing well the time period's weird too because this movie looks like it takes place well before the previous film. 
because the the previous one must be destroyed kind of had that like 1890s feel and this looks more like um you know like the early 1800s like with the frills and the frocks and stuff like that so it's like a weird sort of like uh discontinuity although the wig he wore it again and now the screaming starts because I was oh, like, yeah. oh, when wow. I saw this movie, I was like, holy shit, that's the same hair from now the screaming well, starts. I, I and like... I double checked my Blu-ray and I was like, yep, that's the same wig. And then I hey, looked it up I online see. and yeah. yeah, so it's like, it's, I don't know if he hated it or what. Although, okay, so for me, the wig, I kind of took it like maybe because again this movie he looks like a freaking corpse like he looks like gaunt and sort of you know frail and old and i i think the wig is him trying to cling to some sort of like long gone youth maybe like you could look at it as like oh this is me trying to look like almost like the the character himself is purposefully donning a wig to appear more healthy than he actually is or to hide yeah. yeah, like to create a persona that he wishes he had or was so he could convince himself that he will achieve this goal of his, this life dream that that is fast slipping through his fingers. Here you go. Uh, Lady Frankenstein uh, Target's got it for five ninety nine. Two copies left. Jenks, if you want it. <laughs> sold. <laughs> you just you just sold those two copies. I'm hopping on now. Hopping on the thing now. Get it. <laughs> Five dollars and ninety nine cents. I love the tagline. Only the monster she made could satisfy her strange desires. Wow! <laughs> it tells you that the sounds the- like quality cinema. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like Al Adamson. What it sounds like. Uh, I love Al Adamson. That doc that they made about him was so good. Yeah. Yeah. Total absolutely. murder mystery. Although not really. We kind of know who did it. Yeah, I don't think it's much of a mystery, is it? Yeah. No, they definitely <laughs> solved it. <laughs> All right, gang, I am going to put myself on mute and go pour another drink because I I don't have enough brandy in me. Uh, I will be back in three minutes. Uh, Talk amongst yourselves. Three minutes? How long does it take you to pour a drink? Just bring the bottle. I have to walk into the other room, Allie. See, I just keep all the beers right right next to me. There's there's ice. There's ice. I have to pour ice into the glass. That's a lot. I have to pour brandy onto the ice that's in the glass, and then okay. I have to walk back in here and drink the brandy that was poured over the ice into the Jinx, glass. Jinx is being very extra about his drink. <laughs> and dash to the restroom because yeah, the, the, yeah, they got yeah. Oh my god, you guys like produce. I just go to the bathroom with you guys with me. I'm like, no, it's fine. It'll be an experience. Wow, well, we're, we're all we're all in this together. Guess I'm pouring a second glass of brandy to have handy after that. Uh, have you gone yet? I thought you were going to do this thing. I'm trying, and then he called me extra, and I didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> You're being real extra, but being extra. I, I don't know why. I don't know why, Jinx, but I knew calling you extra would piss you off. <laughs> it didn't piss me off. I just glitched for a second. I was yeah. like, is Paul a teenage girl from, you know, well, like, you know. I knew I. You're the one who watched the. I know what you did last summer show. You know Who's what? The I have, girl now. <laughs> who among us does not have regrets, Paul? Yeah, true. Yeah. So, nope. what do we think about John Stratton as Adolf Klaus? Uh, I love how they called him Adolf. That's yeah. Really, nobody. Yeah, he's he's a little bit over the top. 
like against yeah. the rest of the film. Like it, it almost that's one part of the film that's a little awkward. His performance doesn't quite jive with the the more like, like melancholic putting on the putting on the cologne like at a rapid pace like he's doing. Oh, and... that's cologne. I was literally like, what the hell is cause he pulled something out of it and then started rubbing it on his face. Yeah, yeah, maybe my... yeah, yeah, but he's uh, you know, it's almost like they need to give the guy several milligrams of Xanax because he's just he just looks like he's just gonna have a breakdown. I, I thought, I thought it, it was I, some sort of drug or something. I thought it was like, too, and like I thought a salve that was giving him a high of some yeah. kind or something like also, that. Also, his skin doesn't look okay. Like as a human, <laughs> I'm very concerned for his well being. <laughs> like he looks all red and purpley, like he's dying a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, he's always he's always trying to do something under under the table, underhanded the whole movie. He's a uh, nefarious character. I, I got to say that in that last scene, I, I I I one of the things that always struck me about this movie was the wonderful bandaging job she did on Simon God, with the. I, uh, it's not tight at all. Like, there's no way they're doing anything. <laughs> he goes over one shoulder, then leaves half his back open. And there's like germs <laughs> pouring down the side. Yeah. I love that after yeah. season, he was had no problem just leaning back in a chair like he didn't just get the shit kicked out of him. And yet there's there's dialogue to ensure that the audience knows like she did a really good job because everyone's like great job on this bandage. Great job. You know, like there's like That's multiple compliments. I mean, she truly does not have a lot to do, so they have to give her praise for the yeah. like, job. Yeah, she's got she's got no dialogue, so I think that this. From, you know, this is in praise of Madeline. She did, you know, her. She's always had those Madeline Smith eyebrows that, you know, she could emote a lot, you know, with yeah. her eyes, yeah. like she was doing when he was getting sprayed uh, with yeah. the hose. She has that look she had, like she felt sorry for him. She does a good job of uh, acting without words in this movie, uh, you know, with just her facial expressions. But you know, the, yeah, there are no lines. That's for sure. No, but like you said, she has screen presence, um, and it and it comes yeah. through. Like I think that's, and it reminds me of um, Yvonne Romaine in The Curse of the Werewolf, like right. that yeah. that kind of silent performance that's a lot of emoting, but you but they still have like a a, a, a memorable presence in the film for the most part. Yeah, 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 and uh, you know she turns up more than you think. Uh, like uh, Theater of Blood, Madeline Smith was in that. A lot of people forget that. Oh yeah, I and I love that movie. It's another great Vincent Price film. It is yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And the Amazing Mr. Blunden, she turned up in that. That's a, I don't know. If oh I've ever yeah, seen that. yeah. But uh, yeah, she did a pretty, had a pretty good career. She wasn't one of those ones you see for thirty seconds, like in one movie and never see again. She she <laughs> she was around in several of them, not naming names. well and it's good that you know i think the people who deserve to show up a lot tend to you know like tend to tend to get 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 hired again and and brought back yeah but barbara shelley's a genius i think she did oh yeah like eight hammer films uh veronica carlson they they cast her at least three times she was good yeah there's yep i mean my favorite girl is always going to be ingrid pitt like i just worship her yeah, well, that's yeah, that yeah, that's another one. Countess Dracula. I think I think Countess Dracula is like very underrated. Um, oh, it is. Yeah, 
it's so like it's a and i think it's unfortunate it's one of those sort of like later hammer films because a lot of the later hammer films get looked down upon somewhat but that movie is really interesting and she turns in a phenomenal performance yeah she does and i you know and i've taken some feedback over the years on my page uh, if i post something about it and call her the the villain a lot of people are defending you know i got these historians that come on like i told you about that know everything and Elizabeth Bathory really wasn't, you know, she was framed. She wasn't a vampire. She didn't do all the things that, you know, and so they what? feel that historically she's getting a bad shit, bad shit in the stick, whatever, you know. Hmm. Wasn't a vampire? You mean vampires aren't real? Ugh. What? I know. Well, they, they're, they're trying to say she didn't really bathe in blood or any of that. They're saying it's all, you know, fiction. It's like historically. So, I, right. but I'm a historian. That's, I mean, that's, I have a degree and. Uh, they they can't prove that it wasn't so I, that's just hammer taking license and you know you'll get those people coming on saying this is this is an outrage you know whatever well that's the thing is when you when you delve into the artistic world you you take liberties and that's okay you know it's like there, there's a million earlier we talked about a christmas carol there's like 20 yeah. christmas carol adaptations and all of them are different and they Absolutely. cut things out and put things in and they have different takes on it and different themes and that's okay you know that's that's part and of what makes it interesting visited by three ghosts in real life that showed him his whole <laughs> they didn't give up <laughs> well you know ellie you weren't there you don't know what happened i mean maybe there were three ghosts maybe there were five ghosts maybe the story Jinx has been way longer than three minutes. What a piece of I, I think he, I think he uh, misled us. Uh, what if he just ghosts us and doesn't come back? What? <laughs> I've been listening the entire time. I knew it. Yeah, this was a test. This is that. This and is that Alex extra failed. coming out. What do you mean? <laughs> I called it this piece of. You garbage. said three minutes. You lied. It's random uh, liquor store. I bought a VHS for you, Allie. Come on. I know, and I love you so much for that. Uh, which v- which VHS? The one that uh, my film is on. Wow, it's got real quiet. It was like dead I silence know. after that. Oh, I thought it dropped. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we were all just in shock and awe of the VHS. So Salem Horror Fest released through Broke Horror Fan a VHS compilation of the top short film winners of the last five years. Oh, and that yeah, means yeah, yeah. it includes uh, Alley's short film, you, Verified, is which that is sold excellent. out already. Uh, I don't nope. think so. If it's not, I'll buy one too, because I just started buying VHS again, which I shouldn't, because I spend way too much money on movies as it is. But Everyone should buy VHSs and then also get one of those TV VCR combos. That's the- what I need to do. Wow. I need to so do is VHS that. doing a, like a like a like an LP? Are they coming back as well? I don't know that they're. Co- I wouldn't say they're coming back, um, but there's More definitely like a collector's culture. Item. Yeah, I mean mm. they're not putting out like new VHSs insofar as like you know vinyls getting re-releases and yeah. sort of becoming right. the thing. Um, but although with vinyl, I think the, the difference is like, I would argue vinyl does sound better than digital music. Yeah. I mean, I think there is a distinctive sound, whereas VHS. Vinyl on is just so much better than like throwing on Spotify. Well, I mean, yeah, our last like record, when I, I know it, it came on a cassette tape, even we, we that was brought back. Yeah, cassettes are, that is true. That's interesting. I, yeah, it was I, more of a marketing thing, but they made, you know, several thousand of them. Yeah. I, uh, 
whenever I do, whenever I'm writing, I always put on vinyl. I don't listen to Apple Music or anything. I just I, I switch out horror like scores on vinyl. Same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I still got a lot of vinyl. That's I awesome. I have a lot of show tunes on vinyl. Ooh, which what's your favorite? The, the hammer. Uh, I uh, I listen to all of my music through my phone like uncultured swine. So, uh, <laughs> so basically, what you're saying is you're water skiing in your bathtub. Exactly. Yeah. That's what Denis Villeneuve would say about my listening to music. You know what? That's well, actually he, what he, has he, kept me. If I'm being honest, I adore Dune, the the Lynch film. I love Denis Villeneuve's previous movies. I think he's an excellent filmmaker. That fucking jet ski in a bathtub comment has arrested <laughs> me. Like from like, I can't watch his movie now. I can't watch it on HBO Max because uh, I, I feel like he'll be standing over my shoulder judging. I he don't will. have the time to go to the he, damn movie theater to watch it. He actually drove to my house and judged me as I watched yeah. it. It was weird. <laughs> I don't know how he has the time. I, uh, <laughs> I you know, I do want to see it on a big screen, admittedly. But at the same time, I got to tell you, if I'm catching a movie this week, it's going to be Ghostbusters. Oh, true. Oh, no, it's going to be House of Gucci. House of Gucci. New Ridley Ridley Scott joined. New Ridley Scott (laughs) and Lady Gaga doing that terrible Italian accent. Ridley Scott had like two movies in like three months, didn't he? Because he had Last Duel. Yeah. He had Last Duel, now House of Gucci. And that man's got to be what? Pushing 80? Is he 80 years old? How old is he? He Did he put Adam Driver in both of those? You know, that's he did. Oh my goodness, you're right. I, I feel like. Last Duel was kind of like Alien, Ridley Scott, and so far House of Gucci looks a little like Alien Covenant, Ridley Scott. Not, not quite as good as early vintage Ridley Scott. Um, okay, but okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch it. Yeah, I'm the oh, person that's, that my my film collection is is basically 1898 to 1974, and I don't watch much <laughs> after that. You and my I mean, family get along famously. Do the same thing. Although he watched Halloween play. Kills and also yelled about it. Van, Vanderbilt, though, uh, Bomber, I think you would dig. Although his uh, he goes all the way up to 97. So he's a couple yeah. of decades past you, but he's he still not 97. current. I just take here and there. I'll watch a film, you know, over that time period. Like, you know, I was talking about when we started uh, Jacob's wife and stuff like, you know, I, I, I'm real picky about anything made after the early '70s for some reason, but I do watch them. I mean, I. Well, I mean, and and the other thing about it is there's there's so many movies. You know, I I love when people say, "Oh, I've seen everything." You know, like, "Oh, I'm a horror fan. I've seen everything." It's like, no, you haven't. There's there's no way thousands of movies. Like every day, I discover ten new movies that are more than 20 years old, 30, 40, yeah, whatever yeah, years old yeah. that I've never heard of that sound like they'd be my favorite movie. And I think that's the great thing about film. So I think no matter what yeah. decade you're playing in there, there's a million things to discover and it's always worth it. So it's yeah, like, but Paul, yeah, I, can I, I ask I, that idea is delightful. And yet at the same time, can I ask you, Paul, Palmer, yeah. Ali, I'll ask all three of you. That is a great thing, the idea that we can always discover something new, whether or not it's, you know, uh, old or not. But does it haunt you even a little bit, the idea that maybe there is a movie out there that would be your favorite film ever, that would trump everything else? Yeah, all the time. That you might never discover. 
every day of my life. That's yeah. that's what we're doing. Well, <laughs> that's like what I'm doing in life movies. is trying to find it. <laughs> yeah, I'm focusing on the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, you know. Really, and I, you know, I thought I always think I have them all, and then there, though, there will always be a couple more that pop up all the time that I haven't seen. And uh, yeah, it's disconcerting to know that they're out, they're out there for sure. They're out there. Yeah. Well, uh, dude, you should take. I, I want to see pictures of your collection. You should put. You should send those to us on Twitter or something because I love. I love a big ass collection. And then, like, yeah, put us the outside of your house and what street you live on, and <laughs> <laughs> which which windows are unlocked at what times of day. Yeah, just and... like, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> I can do that. Sounds reasonable. <laughs> um. Yeah. The. the... Oh, what was I, what was I just thinking about? I, there there was one I came up with recently, and I hadn't seen it in years. Uh, oh, the mask, not the Jim Carrey one. Oh, um, the original mask. That's Canadian. Yeah, the one from 1960, wasn't it? It was yeah. supposed to be like 3D. I hadn't seen that in years, and I forgot about it. And I I came across that recently, and that is just a trip. You know, the mask, and the way it's filmed. This just a bizarre movie. It's so it's, it's such a Canadian pride for us. Like we're like we made that. <laughs> we have a few things to be really psyched about, but like that's one of them. We have the mask in yeah. universal healthcare, Americans. Yeah, and just <laughs> Bieber. I can keep Bieber. Isn't the uh, mask uh, a Kino Lorber release? They did a 3D release of that I one. Think I think it is. That I think must, it's Kino yeah, Lorber. that must be it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I have that too. Yeah, I'm waiting for London here. after midnight personally. Oh, one day, please. One day, someday. You know what? If they could find the three and a half hour long black and white cut of George A. Romero's Martin, isn't there hope for anything, really? Oh, so true. Yeah, well, yeah, there really is because up until, you know, 10 years ago, The Old Dark House and The Ghoul from around 1932 33, the two Karloff films, were hopelessly lost. And then all of a sudden they found a print in Czechoslovakia with Czechoslovakian subtitles. And uh, so we had that. And then two years later, we had a perfect copy uh, on Blu-ray. I mean, so they're, they're out there. Somebody's yeah. getting it like, like London After Midnight. I, you know, I, I know the copyright's up on that in 2023. And if it just shows up in 2023, I will not be surprised. Because <laughs> it was shown right. on TV in the 50s before the fire. And people kinescope films all the time. Uh, somebody somebody has a copy of that oh somebody's sure. got a copy yeah. there's no doubt about it 100%. they didn't just have one copy in that one warehouse right. fire because it was yeah. released in 12 countries i mean somebody has got a copy they're i yep. think they're waiting on the copyright for 2023 i bet, I I bet cohen's got it because cohen media the cohen film collection that restored old dark house supposedly mm-hmm. i've heard rumors that they're working on on that movie so i would not be surprised if you're to your point when the copyright goes up they put something out i, yeah, I bet that's where it's going to come from the ghoul but and the old anyone... house were hopelessly lost supposedly and they're here and now they're in perfect quality both of them yep yeah old but dark does house anyone have all of the place. cut material from the magnificent ambersons that's what i want to know Ooh. Ooh. not me the the wells film yeah, yeah, I've always yeah. that's like one of the cinema's holy grails, right? Like his follow up to Citizen Kane was butchered, still wound up being a pretty damn decent movie, but what yeah. could it have been with all the material in it? Is that, that the one that took uh, place in Indiana? Is that the one I'm thinking of? Uh is it Indiana? The Indiana uh elite gentry. I don't know. I'm thinking maybe I'm thinking Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it, yeah it's, it's Indiana, I believe. 
Yeah. Okay. The um. Well, if they had, if if, if they unearthed Nightbreed, the Cabal cut, anything's possible. <laughs> yeah, that's so like, yeah. Whenever they say something was destroyed in a uh, a fire, I don't take that too seriously, because you know, these films were in wide release worldwide. MGM had London After Midnight, and it's the same with the 1930 sound version of The Phantom of the Opera. Well, they're in the fire, so they're lost. And I, because I've seen pieces of, uh, I've got pieces of the the sound version of Phantom of the Opera in my possession, so I know that's not true. So I'm mm-hmm. sure it's going to pop up in 2020. I just got a feeling it will. Yeah. And also, there's a whole thing like I can't, um, because I am dating someone who works for a film company. I'm privy to some information. I can tell you the movie after we get off the air, but publicly I can't say it. But there's a movie that like. One of the major like universities in California just has a giant 16 millimeter collection that they don't really know what they have. And one day they were like, oh, we do actually have this crazy long lost film. Do you guys want to release it? Oh, UCLA. Like, <laughs> UCLA, yeah. Yeah. And it just happens very often. And now there's going to be like new shit getting released through, well, I can see the company through Full Moon and stuff, but like. Mm-hmm. They just don't truly keep track. Also, I'm weirdly getting into 16 millimeter just because like Chris is like super into 16 millimeter and has showed me all these like weird movies that I've never even heard of. Like this one called Ruby that stars Piper Laurie. And it's like mm-hmm. haunted drive-in meets the exorcist meets like a nightclub. It's beautiful. What? Yeah. yeah it sounds amazing. It's yeah, I have a good. Oh god. Oh, yeah no it's really good and like i had never heard of it until like two days ago and just watched it on 16 mil and was like um this is a fantastic film why has it not got a release like what is happening yeah you're seeing that with uh streaming services not like tubi uh the free (laughs) streaming service tubi there's movies horror films turning up on there that i haven't seen in years that i thought were lost uh perfect you have that can I ask you all here, while we're watching this movie, not only is this the final Frankenstein movie and the final time that Cushing would play the character, but also this is the last time that Terrence Fisher would direct a movie. Yeah. Right. And uh, so this is kind of a swan song. There's something kind of fitting about his final movie being Frankenstein's final movie, too. Um, and I didn't realize this. You know, One of the books that I read pointed it out that all of the Dracula sequels, of course, were handled by various directors in the latter part of that franchise, but the first right. refusal of any Frankenstein film was given to Terrence Fisher. And um, Fisher had not directed anything since the last uh, Cushing Frankenstein in 69. You know, it was a few years. Uh, I think right. by this point he had played chicken with two cars. He'd gotten both legs broken. Yeah, he uh, was... <laughs> right, yeah. Well, he was supposed to direct two movies before this because Risen from the Grave, Dracula's Risen from the Grave and Lust for a Vampire was supposed to be him. Yeah, and he didn't yeah. want to do it. He didn't want to come out of uh, retirement. Apparently, it took some coaxing to get him back. The The producer of this film, uh, Roy Skeggs, actually had to try and convince him uh, to come back and eventually direct this movie. And he did decide to helm what would be the final Hammer Frankenstein film. And, uh, Again, I just love that. I love that those two things sort of dovetailed together. Terrence Fisher's yeah, his career. daughter followed my Twitter. I should ask her. I've seen. Yeah. Her oh on. my God. Yeah. 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 That would be amazing. Oh uh, yeah, that'd be great. And then get her to come on our show. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 There's a lot just of people. Just do all the work for us. 
<laughs> you could be our silent partner. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of people out there that would probably have fun doing it. You know, yeah, and it, sure. it's just and there's some people that you'd probably you know if you got the wrong person on here they oh boy. <laughs> Judy and I talked about that a few months ago. Judy's not invited. Um, oh God, if I had too much brandy, should I not have said that out loud? Um, uh, they're listening, you know. It's like, hey, how about that Jimmy Fallon show? I watched. Did you watch him last night? I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's only on in America, though. They, they, well, it's like Russia. They don't let the Beatles in. We're or the only ones who know who he is. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, I think I think you mentioned Royce Geggs really wanting, uh, uh, you know, Fisher back. And I, I think the whole idea of this movie was clearly to be a throwback to Hammer's early style. You know, get 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 Fisher back in his comfort zone, get the, the right people back at the helm and win back audiences. This feels like a bit like a Hail Mary. Uh, and yeah, unfortunately, yeah, it was one that wasn't caught. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, ultimately... Mm-hmm. It's also indicative of the fact that Hammer wasn't it did not have their fingers on the pulse of the horror going public. Um, you know, they they were trying to give them what they were giving them in the late 50s, early 60s and not what cr- audiences were craving in the mid early to mid 70s. You know, we were we were moving away from creature features. That wasn't what audiences wanted. They wanted The Exorcist. Um, yeah. and did, this movie me. is a bit of a relic. <laughs> well, no, yeah. I mean, I, I love it. And, and obviously the reality of it all is in retrospect, these trends don't matter. You know, when you right. look back 50 years later, you just pick and choose what you like and you go, why wasn't this so popular? But admittedly in the moment, the public zeitgeist is fickle as hell. You know, oh, it, yeah. it just goes with whatever the tides are. And unfortunately, the changing tides did not favor something like a, a seventh Frankenstein movie. Paul, you said mm-hmm. you said did not favor. It stuns me to know that during its entire first week, not just the first day, not the first weekend, its entire first week in the UK. Would you care to okay, 160,000 pounds uh is what it was made for. Would anybody here like to guess? Bomber, you might know if you do don't say, but would anybody like to guess for this particular film how much it made in its first week of release? Just just a guess. Just throw it out there. This film? Yeah. Oh. I'm guessing it's low. It was made for uh, 160,000 pounds. 10,000. Uh, a quarter of that. 50,000. It made 1,774 pounds Ooh. in its first week. Yeah, that, yeah, that's why I, yeah, that's, that's that tells you what you need to know. Yeah, yeah, but weirdly enough, you know, much like some of the other Hammer movies, it has it was actually better received in the US. But like Paul mentioned, you know, the, 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 the Hail Mary was missed and this, uh, this movie ultimately was considered to be a failure, I think. Um, and again, you know, like reviews were kind of all over the place, uh, you know, some kind of trashed it, some appreciated what it was going for, even if they ultimately felt that it wasn't, you know, maybe all that successful. But, you know, at the time, I'm sure it seemed 
kind of an unfortunate end for the character and for the franchise. But I got to say, looking back on it now, yeah, Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell may not be my favorite entry. Honestly, it might be my least favorite. Yeah. But it's still damned good. It is still... Yeah, if you you talk to the... Yeah, you know, the, the the Hammer historians, the PhDs, they all think this is like one of their favorite ones. I've I've seen them talking about it, you know. And uh, I think it's interesting his descent into madness, like what's going on here. You know, clamping the artery with his teeth of the monster there, doing crazy stuff like that. He's just so driven. Uh, his plans for the female lead in the movie, uh, just all the. It's it's kind of he's already mad, but this this has some great eyeballs in it too. This movie I got to say, it's a lot of eyeballs. Of eyeballs. Like some of the best eyeballs. Yeah, Lucio I Fulci mean, would have been happy to shove some wood <laughs> into the eyes. Of <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, uh, yeah, and this scene is great. I will say uh, I was talking over it a moment ago, but I do love the reveal. Of the Baron's burned hands, you know, much like many other Hammer sequel, right. you know, the continuity can be a bit thin, you know, connecting entry to entry. But I love the fact that they call back to the previous movie with, uh, you know, with the Baron's hands being burnt. We can only assume that happened in the finale of the previous uh, Cushing Frankenstein. And I, I love that little connection. I love the earlier nod to uh, the Curse of Frankenstein when Cushing notes that that was uh you know, the events of that movie were a very long time ago, you know? And even though, you know, I, I believe you, Bomber, when you say that there were two other movies planned, I get it. But there is something about this movie that seems to lean into the finality of it. Like they knew that this would be the last hurrah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's It's got that feeling to it, too. I mean, it's it's hard to say. But, uh, you know, if you, I'll put the interview up later and... Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's like they want to keep continuing, but you know, as businessmen, I'm they have to see the handwriting on the wall at some point. I mean, there's like there are 12 Hammer films that didn't get made. I can think of off the top of my head because there was no money to do it. But uh, you know, like the one about the Loch Ness monster and stuff like that. And uh, they were going to do another Dennis Wheatley, and uh, they had big plans, but they just I think. You know, like you say, The Exorcist and that came along and uh, the money ran out. Yeah. yeah. They, uh, I recently came into possession of the screenplay for Vampirella based on the uh, the Harris comic books. And, uh, I did. And you mean the uh, movie they made in the 80s or 90s? or the, the No, no, no. The, uh, the one that Hammer wanted to do in the late 70s. They eventually made it with, uh, like from a completely different screenplay, as I understand it, in the 90s with right. uh, Talisa Soto from Mortal Kombat. But yeah, right, back right. in the late 70s, they wanted a, uh, they wanted to adapt Vampirella with, uh, I think it was Carolyn Monroe at one point, then maybe Barbara Lee, and I forget who uh, else was. It, it, it ended up being Barbara Lee, because Carolyn Monroe wouldn't do the nudity, and uh, uh, they they talked to Valerie Leon, and uh, Barbara Lee was the one they were, you know, they her and Carolyn Monroe, they both had some test pictures taken, I know that. I've got, I've actually got the poster for it. Uh, I'll, I'll post that up too later. I've got the, they had a poster ready to go. I don't know if you've seen it, but it says coming your way in 1976. And, you know, it yes. never got made, but yeah. Oh, one of the crazy things about that script is the fact that it's so heavily illustrated throughout. Like it's a 
140 page script. It was probably 90 pages, but they filled out the margins with uh, sketches of Vampirilla and Draculon and like, you know, all the various aspects of that story. And I, I kind of love that. And uh, I, I, I have, I have thrown out the idea to my uh, co-hosts, the idea that maybe we should, uh, we should do as kind of a hammer pub capper. We should uh, do a script reading with, uh, you know, one of us playing Vampirilla. I don't know who. You know, well, yeah. I, think I, I think I know who. It's obviously Paul. We're all thinking it. I mean, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to say it. But that's an interesting yeah. idea. Yeah. Not not for nothing, <laughs> but one of us on this recording right now has actually officially in canon been Vampirella, uh, huh. published. In fact, not going to say who, but um. <laughs> yeah, wonder who that could be. I mean, that's what, well, that has been done. You know, the other, the other surviving Dracula script that was after uh, Seven Golden Vampires, they just recently somewhere in England uh, did a reading or something with that, The Unquenchable Thirst of Dracula. Yes, yeah, I heard of, I haven't listened to that yet, but I really want to. It might even be on YouTube. Yeah, it was uh, the one that was, took, takes place in India. Oh, was that originally the the Kali one, like the Devil Bride of Dracula? Um, could be. Um, I think I, I think it went through several of... like iterations, yeah, before they yeah landed on Unquenchable Thirst. But that's 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 cool. I need to check that out. Yeah, let me see if I've got that. Hold on. I, I I also like the unused title. Uh, what was it? Dracula is alive and well and living in London. I thought that was a great <laughs> almost yeah. almost title to Dracula AD. Yeah, he's just hanging out in London, you know, making breakfast, going to his Joe job. Yeah, right, right, right. Oh Picking yeah, 2017 they did it on BBC Radio Four. Okay. Cool. Oh, who's the cast in that? Um, starring Michael Sheen. That's right. That's excellent. I need to listen. Oh, Mark to that, Gattis so. did it. That makes sense. Okay. I love him. Uh, he he is a guy who seems to really love Hammer and that era. Uh, and anything that even remotely smacks of it, you know, in the present day, he seems to want to have a part in. Even, uh, I remember a few years back, Victor Frankenstein, the big uh, 20th Century Fox movie, which was kind of like Hammer on, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, uh, Acid. Uh, you know, Mark Gatiss actually appears in the final third of that as one of the doctors assisting in the resurrection, which is... Uh, I don't know. It's just a lot of fun. I also love watching him as uh, Mycroft in Sherlock. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I just looked it up. It's on YouTube. Uh, you can, it's the BBC radio drama. It's on there in full. Okay. Can I point out on screen? We are seeing some pretty grisly stuff happening. Yeah. And, uh, this I read somewhere that this film was given an X certificate by the BBFC. And even then, only after certain sequences were trimmed in the film. And I kind of get it because this is, uh, yeah, yeah. The way they're carving as... up the head here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they, uh, they, uh, yeah, they, they, they actually, they're a prince. And if, uh, I think the print they were playing on Hulu during Halloween, uh, they took out the clamping the artery with the teeth. That scene was removed. Really? Really? Yeah. Why are they editing shit for Hulu? That's insane. Also, there's, two, there's, there's two copies floating around out there, and the one that they got oh. a hold of 
was minus the uh, him biting the artery with his teeth. Uh, so it. there's there's okay. different versions of them out there. There's a lot of hammer, there's a lot of hammer scraps uh, somewhere. Somebody's got them. I it'd be fun just to see them all put together in kind of a documentary and of all the gore they cut out. I think that would be yeah. Fun. It would be like a really twisted version of the end of Cinema Paradiso, where instead of all of the moments of yeah. like nudity, uh, you just had all of the moments of hammer gore. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> like uh, in the like for instance in the uh, 1966 in the what was it the oh uh, the the plague of the zombies, uh, you know he uh, he chopped her head off with the shovel. Uh, the original in the original the way they filmed it originally that he took like seven whacks at her. <laughs> So, uh, well, know, he said we have to trim that to one clean blow. But so, but I mean, the the film is out there somewhere with the. Well, know, was it was it uh, was it Hatchet Two where he had like thirty wax at the hatchet and the censors was like, you can have four. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, really? <laughs> he's like, because mine it it becomes comedy. You want like you're actually making it more upsetting. Like it's more yeah, upsetting yeah. if I only hit him a couple times. If I hit him like thirty times, then it's funny. So it's yeah. like it just goes to show that the the censorship has always been backwards and completely, you know, not. Yeah, there was a guy. The there was a guy that was running it in England at the time that was running the BBFC, that was really heavy handed with Hammer. I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but well, he made him pull a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, and, and in the seventies, it was loosening pretty dramatically, but they were still. Yeah, mm-hmm. Hammer how always had a bit of a target on its back. The 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 weird thing about this movie though was they used a lot of like real blood and animal parts and stuff. Yeah, from like butchers and shit. Yeah, like they were saying the brain scene was like supposed to be shot on like a Friday and then it got pushed back to the Monday, so all that shit had been sitting out. So when they went to shoot it, it the smell was so horrible that it was making people <laughs> gag, and they could yeah. barely like com- complete the scene. I'm just like that's insanity. That that the like because it was cheaper for them to get actual like body parts of animals and bits like that than to create yeah. the, the oh, practical effects. Gross. Yeah. Very I just love the professor sitting there that the way they got him with his you know his throat cut. He's just sitting there and he's his skin is like a light bluish gray. It's I mean it's authentic looking enough. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> looks just, yeah. Head. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like he's like an afterthought just sitting there. Was there ever a hammer film that was a video nasty or did they sort of escape that uh that classification. We were talking about the BBFC and cuts and whatnot. I'm just wondering if it, no, it was video, one of the video fabled 42. Nasty was a lot more. Video Nasties was designed specifically for the, the 70s grindhouse fair that was being imported mm. to Britain. So it was it was designed to protect the the British youth from uh, the, the, the horrific shit being made overseas, essentially, or in other countries, because Italian horror was very much a, a catalyst for that as well. For that matter, yeah, I haven't um, asked. Yeah. The, Bomber, I mean, have you seen Censor yet? What was that again? What? Have you seen the movie Censor yet? Oh, no, no. Oh, it's very good. I think you would dig it. It's new, but I think put you it would. My list. Put it it is set list. in the 80s, and it is about a BBFC censor. Although, Paul, remind me, like you've seen it recently, they don't actually call it the BBFC, but that's essentially what it is, right? Uh, Yeah. They No, they call it the British Film Board of class, uh, Classification. Like, they, they, they don't say the acronym, but they 
say right. what it is. Like it's, yeah, it's it's about well, it's about a specific group of people whose job it is to decide what is a video nasty. So they're yeah. they're they're screening films and basically classifying them as video nasties and and making it illegal for the tapes to be traded. Okay. Uh, that's that's kind of the the yeah, it's an interesting movie. I I did yeah I I had some problems with it, but I I like it. I think I think it was it was interesting enough to be worth watching. Yeah, it's on Hulu. It's yeah. it's uh. It's a Hulu flick. Oh, so it is on Hulu. Awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah, yeah. You don't out. have to pay for it or anything. <laughs> what is the uh, what is the refrain in the? I, it's one of my favorite movies of the year, but I haven't seen it in months. And Paul, you've just seen it. But what is the lead character's constant refrain? Not only with movies, but also sort of the main plot of the movie involving possibly her sister. But isn't the constant thing that she says over and over something like, "I have to save you." Uh, yes. Is it evil dies tonight? <laughs> no, God, just... no. We, we, we have exhausted all Halloween kills talk on this. I podcast. had to. I had to. I had. You know, to. I just, I just love this scene we just saw where they, you know, they're taking the brain out and putting the other one in, and uh, you know, Frankenstein steps. He he puts the old brain, throws it in the bowl. He accidentally steps in the bowl, then he kicks it across the room. <laughs> Because we've all been there. <laughs> He's like, well, this is in my way. It just, it just little details like that show you that he was just uh, irritated that he accidentally stepped on the old brain. So then he kicks the bowl for good measure. I love the vein of dark humor. You know, I mean, a lot of people can point to the horror of Frankenstein as being an overt comedy, sure. But I think there's mm-hmm. always been like this wonderful vein of dark humor in all of the Frankenstein movies, even going back to the very first. And I, oh, I yeah. Yeah. it makes it that much more uh, enjoyable, I think. But also, like it, it lets the horror of the each tale stand out in greater relief, I think. And I, I don't know. I just, I, I love that mix. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's really something special about the way they do things. You know what's funny about this movie is that the, the dummy they used, uh, in place of Dave Prowse looked more like a real monster than the actual makeup job which i thought was always interesting about this movie do they ever and i know they don't but i'm just using this as an icebreaker but did they ever explain what the hell the deal with that body is like why there happened to be a neanderthal just bopping about london you know or uh yeah it just he was a vicious murderer that was a throwback kind of guy that was a savage beast brute and uh i think they laid the the body hair on a bit thick (laughs) A, but, bit. Uh, a bit. I mean, yeah. that's how I like it. Looks, looks like a gorilla suit, you know. Totally. It might as well, like, the story might as well have been Frankenstein deciding to put, like, a professor's brain into a gorilla's body. Like, why not? Yeah, just I think, I think that they, you know, if this was made earlier, they would have used Tor Johnson. Yeah. Oh, my God. Totally. 100%. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and now yeah, I, I mean, wonder what an Ed Wood Hammer film might have been like. You know, if they continued on into the eighties, yeah, maybe. Oh, I've, I've I've often said that I I so wish I could see eighties Hammer because I think it would have been mm-hmm. I think it would have been so well suited for this sort of genre mashup uh, culture that the eighties embraced. 
Like yeah. the the 80s would have welcomed Hammer with open arms and I think they would have performed much better. Like almost if they had taken a sabbatical for 10 years. Like oh the first couple movies like you put Captain Kronos out in the 80s and it would have done gangbusters business. Yeah, well I think the, yeah, I think the problem with the late 70s was you got your exorcist which led to you know the omen which led to you know then we got mm-hmm. into the star wars stuff and it yeah. and jaws jaws you know those movies kind of just dominated but right. when the when the 80s started they were hammer would have filled that void nicely i think agreed yeah and i think like they and the 80s started to throw back to some of the stuff that hammer was doing like some of the early slashers mm-hmm. definitely were interested in gothic trappings um, yeah, and I, I think mean, there's you, a lot of stuff that Hammer could have played into really easily. They influenced all those people, so I mean, Absolutely. even the people now, even the people now were influenced by him. Uh, they just fell on hard times at the wrong time, you know. Yeah, but yeah, they they like, brought it back, you know. Uh, it's not the same as it was, but the movies they've made are actually, I like uh, most of them. Yeah, same here. I would agree. I would agree. I, I almost wish they would make more. You know, and and the other thing about their new run, though, I would love for them to dip back into some of these franchises and and yeah. and sort well, of, kind of bring them they, back. Really talking hard about that is, uh, I don't know if it was the next project or a pandemic time project. Uh, it was all over. You know, they were they were looking to dip back into the uh, Professor Quatermass stuff with oh, the new hammer, great. and maybe they wanted- still will. Maybe they still will. I just want yeah. it to be a continuation instead of like a remake, you know, uh, especially uh, maybe, I mean, Quatermass, I get if they want to start from well, scratch, maybe do some of those, sure. Yeah. But like if they do Dracula, if they do Frankenstein, like I don't need to see a modern version of Horror of Dracula. I don't need to see a, a, a spit and polished version of Curse of Frankenstein. Just give me new stories with those same characters that are set in the continuity, same continuity, but just right. with different actors, you know, like that to me would be ideal. Yeah, I'd be that. I'd be okay with that. It, it never me, replace Cushing and Lee, but I mean, but they could at least have fun with it and make you know make a good looking film. Yeah. yeah, give me Captain Kronos versus Dracula. You know. Oh my God. That. Yes, I'm, yes. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, interesting. Did you ever see any of the uh, early '70s uh, Japanese Hammer attempts? You know, the, I can't. I, I think it was Toho. That were trying to put out a series of uh, Dra- Lake of Dracula and yes. there were two others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Doll of Dracula. Uh, Lake Lake of Dracula has got a really good feel to it. Uh, you know, you know, it's it's on Tubi right now. A matter of fact, uh, you know, they they go to the old haunted looking house and it's it's got a really hammerish feel. They did a they did a, a very good job trying to make a hammer film. Uh, the Japanese company was Toho. Yeah, I have. Um... Uh, Arrow put out a box set of those three uh, mm, a while okay. back, and on yeah. Blu-ray, yeah, like restored them and did some special features and stuff like that. And I, I, I picked it up, so yeah, I, I saw all three of those and I, I adored them. I thought uh, I would totally hate them, but I didn't. Yeah, they're really good. Um, I'm trying to remember what, uh, what they called it, but yeah, that that's still available. I don't think it's out of print or anything. Yeah, uh, I, oh, I, they called it the them, bloodthirsty, yeah. the bloodthirsty trilogy. The bloodthirsty trilogy. It's just like with uh, they they put out a box set of the uh, Tombs of the Blind Dead movies. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, because this one has um, what was it? Vampire Doll, Lake of Dracula, and Evil of Dracula. Right, which um, right now is on sale fifty percent off on Amazon. It's typically forty nine ninety five. It is currently twenty four ninety nine. You should buy it. There you go. Guys, it's definitely not that price in Canada. Well, we're selling a lot of stuff here. <laughs> and it's a great save. set, man. It's a you great set. You can currently set. save an extra three dollars and thirty three cents when you apply this coupon. You know what, guys? I'm gonna. If I didn't own it, I would buy it right now. I'm going to apply 100%. that coupon. Hang on, I would buy everyone. It right now. Just hold your breath. I'm going to go ahead and do it. I just, uh, what? Yeah, it's going to take you three minutes, but then actually take you like 10 minutes. I did it. It's going to be a whole Fuck thing. You. Fuck you, Paul. I did it. The whole thing. Wow. Bloodthirsty children. Such language. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, bloodthirsty. And hey, hey, you know what? In advance of Black Friday coming up this week, I don't know if any of you have noticed, but if you run to Amazon or a couple of other outlets, you can notice that all of those Halloween 4Ks that Scream Factory put out have been discounted a whole three dollars or so. So hey, there you go. Time to jump in. I'll tell you what: if you buy none of them, buy Halloween four. Really? That's the one. Halloween four, and then Halloween five mm-hmm. is worth it because it has the Doctor Death. That's what I want. Opening. I need the Halloween five, and I need the yeah, because it, it it and I will say this: I wish the Doctor Death opening was available as an alternate cut because it makes six make a lot more sense. Because it feels like, it, in retrospect, it feels like Doctor Death is part of the Cult of Thorn. Like really? when you watch it, yeah, I I really mm-hmm. dug it. But um, anyways, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> my weird uh, Halloween fandom is coming out. Um, but yeah. All yeah, right. Doc, so, I think what? Dr. Death, I can only think of Vincent Price. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah, that's fair. Have, Looking uh, at it through a pre-1974 lens, I get that. <laughs> yeah, has yeah. anyone discussed yet? Because I was gone for two or five minutes. Has anyone discussed David Prowse yet? And the fact that he is playing a Frankenstein creature yet again, two movies in a row, albeit different continuities, because uh, I, yeah. I love the fact that we got Always. to see so much of him in the previous movie where there's only a little bit of scarring and then the flat head. And then otherwise it's, Hey, David Prowse. But in this one, like you, you can't, you see his eyes and that's it. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. And yeah. It, it, I, I mean, most people wouldn't even know it's the same guy. Soon to be, what is he, five years at this point? Five years out from being Darth Vader? Uh, No, less than that even. Uh, Four. Yeah, no, yeah, four years. 73, 77. Wow. Crazy. So he and Cushing both were only a stone's throw away from playing roles that would forever cement them as part of this enduring sci-fi legacy. Yes, and I get that every day, you know, on, on, on you know, of the, the 50,000 or whatever they're following. Uh, I can't post any day without somebody saying that Peter Cushing is Tarkin and uh, Christopher Lee is Doku. And it just, I don't know, makes my skin crawl. (laughs) They're Dracula (laughs) and Frankenstein for me. Yeah, well, and that's the blessing and the curse of being put into like a massive franchise, like a four quadrant franchise, right? Because then unfortunately, that's what you become. And I, I think like as an actor and I mean, Ellie, you could probably speak to this better than anyone because I'm I'm not actually an actor. But I imagine there's there's sort of a fear as well as an excitement regarding that. Right. Because it's like it cements you forever. But at the same time, it 
perhaps limits your legacy. Yeah, a thousand percent. Like, because I did so many horror films at this point that trying to do other stuff is very hard. And I'm like, oh, but I just want to be in a goddamn rom-com. <laughs> <laughs> Allie, can I ask you? <laughs> and I'm, I'm piggybacking on Paul's uh, question here, but I wanted to ask you, like, if you were given that opportunity right now, like tomorrow you will play a character that will be remembered a hundred years from now. Uh, and would be utterly iconic, right? And I, I, I'm convinced that you will one day. But my question is, like, if you were given that option that you could do that tomorrow, but that would mean that you would then be forever typecast, mm. would you take that role? Probably. Like, it would depend on what the role is, but I assume if it's iconic. Like, if it was Freddy Krueger, like, obviously, I would play that role for the rest of my life. <laughs> I'm talking like a very... I'd, I'd watch that movie. Like Tony Perkins in Psycho, you know what I mean? Like uh, Norman Bates is one of the great screen characters. Forget horror, just, you know, screen performance, screen characters ever. But as a result, he never fully escaped that character, no matter how great an actor he was. So, again, he had to come back to it 20 years later. Yeah. But there's also no way he could have known when he took that role that that would be the case. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, Iconic. you know, you don't sign on to Psycho and think, like, people are going to be talking about this for 100 years. He, he probably just, it was a job. You know, I mean, obviously it was, yeah. it was Hitchcock, so there was some pomp and circumstance to it, yeah. if anything. But I think today the difference would be, like, hey, do you want to be Iron Man? You know, that's a different thing. You know, there, there's... Yeah, there are there are characters now in these major franchises where you would very well be aware that what yeah. you're signing on to is going to typecast you. And you're gonna make uh, a living too, yeah. But you're gonna make a living. You're gonna make, make a lot a of money yeah. and you will you will always work, you know. So it's one of those things. Convention circuit and you'll meet all your fans and you'll make shit tons of money off your fans. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that stuff's going on now with people from these films and uh you know, a lot of people, speaking of David Prowse, uh, a lot of people forget he was in Vampire Circus. Yeah, he was. We talked yeah, about Yeah, you're him. right. Oh, my gosh. I totally forgot that, which is weird because I just watched that movie. <laughs> and a lot of people forget that he did an episode of the Beverly Hillbillies, too, though. So. What? No. Whoa, wait, what? I, that I just plain what? didn't know. Yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, let me see if I can find out. Yeah, he was in an episode in 1968 called Coming Through the Rye as Emlyn McGregor. Huh. Oh. Which I've seen, which is is interesting for sure. I've probably seen it. I was a sitcom junkie when I was a kid. I I used to watch uh, Nick at Night's Block Party, Party Summer. And mm-hmm. and you know they would have a they would have a you know Beverly Hillbillies night a Brady Bunch night a Monsters mm-hmm. night and okay. I would watch all these shows on repeat nonstop. I was a TV kid. Yeah, a lot of these actors do turn up in the old sitcoms. I mean, it's weird. Yeah. Like you said, the Brady Bunch, Vincent Price, a three parter in Hawaii. You know, who'd have thought? I love that one, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what do you think Vincent Price ever did? Oliver the Little Idol or or the Big Idol Oliver? Yeah, uh, yeah. The totem which, pole. which the second Brady Bunch movie ended up 
sort of appropriating for and its, it's plot so line. good. I saw that you just bought the Brady Bunch movies. Of, of are, course, I bought those. They are movies. on Disney. Yes, absolutely, watched them recently. They are so funny. They're so fucking funny. No, I've been watching. I have the DVDs, so this was really just a to get them in HD situation. <laughs> Inside jokes. So it's like he's at the totem pole, Oliver, in this final season. Then a few episodes later or whatever, they have Cousin Oliver come live with them for 10 episodes. I mean, they, they weren't really big on, on changing up names. No, they uh, they I were would... not. It was another Clove situation. They also, like, they yeah. weren't marathoning the shows like we are now. Where we can be yeah. like, ooh, that's the same character twice. Yeah, that's true. Like... <laughs> they, they didn't think that people could go buy the DVD set of the whole series and just watch yeah, them exactly. over and over again exactly. and analyze what they were is, fucking doing. Yeah. All you yeah, gotta do is look just... at Bewitched. And, uh, you know, the first six seasons with uh, Dick York and the final yeah. two or three seasons was with Dick Sargent. And they redid entire scripts from the Dick York, you know, with Dick Sargent. Yeah. Because they thought they could get away with it because they didn't know that they're going to be be available on home video twenty years later. You know exactly. Yeah. As long as uh, as long as Darren was a dick, they were covered. Yeah, that's all he had to do was just. Like, I mean, yeah, be the bad guy. Hayden Dora. To be fair, what like husband in a sitcom from that time period wasn't a total dick? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Bomber, I do have a question for you because uh, a moment ago yeah. you mentioned uh, uh, the Blind Dead series. And, uh, right. and it occurs to me, like, as a Hammer fan and as somebody who is constantly putting up, like, materials from not just Hammer, but also related gothic films that sort of swim in that same sea. Sure. To our listeners, what other non-Hammer but Hammer-friendly films would you recommend because to me like the blind dead series seems like like that's that's like spain's answer to hammer so what other recommendations would you give listeners out there anything i i do post once in a while i'll put up some blind dead stuff anything i post about is kind of my way of recommending things and so i do the blind dead stuff i put up stuff on uh, the the uh the japanese you know uh versions of dracula uh just not too long ago, I, I got a hold of a copy and I put up uh, the first gore film, which was the 1936 version of Facts in the Case of M. Valdemar, the uh, oh. Edgar Allan Poe story. Uh, yeah, it's a great one. They cover, AIP covered that and uh, with Vincent Price. And it's, it is the first gore film. It's pretty gory for 1936. I'll put mm-hmm. that up later, too. That's... Uh, but yeah, if I, I I do try to post every day or two, I'll throw one in there that I want people to take a look at, uh, and then I get the people on the more educated erudite hammer sites saying, well, he doesn't even know that, you know, Vincent Price wasn't a hammer film or Boris. Cotton. That's that's not the point of what I'm doing here. I'm I'm doing 75% hammer and then 25% stuff kind of related or stuff that's you know. I'm trying to cover I, even in my introduction on the on the Twitter. It's always been there. It says I also talk about this, you know, but they don't read that. They just try to, you know, say that I don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, no, I actually I do. No, but I and you'll mm-hmm. see me put something up every day or two that is uh, something I would say watch. And the, the if you want to see something that's pretty creepy, it's a silent movie made in 1936, you know, years after they had sound. Uh, it's uh, El Queso Valdemar. It's an Italian uh, 
it's even a short film, I think, but it's it's uh, it's well worth watching if you want to see something pretty creepy. Let's check that out. I love that short story. I uh, I, I adore that. I love the uh, the George Romero riff on it and Two Evil Eyes that he did. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's pretty great. But I'll have to check that out. Uh, I love that you mentioned the Blind Dead series because uh, Allie, you are actually a part of a Blind Dead film, are you not? Really? Yeah, I uh, the new Blind Dead film that's coming out. I'm like the whole opening like scene. Really? Love it, and it will be good. I hope it comes out <laughs> December, so like stay tuned. Is it related to the first uh, five? It's okay. I've only seen the first two, and then I saw maybe twenty minutes of that one Blind Dead film that was made like four years ago. Okay, there's one Ghost Galleon. I know that was like the third or fourth one, and then yeah, there is a box set. Yeah. I know that, um, what is her name? Uh, she plays, I want to say Betty in like the first one, Lorne something. Mm. Am I wrong on that? Oh my God, am I super wrong on what her name is? It's all right, hang on, Wikipedia to the rescue. <laughs> there is a box set, it comes in like a coffin. Yeah, it's out of print. It's hard to get, but it is. Yeah. So nice though. There is like a Night um, of the Seagulls, Ghost Galleon, yes. Return of the Evil Dead, which for a long time I thought was an Evil Dead sequel when I was younger. <laughs> so there was, yeah, the Armando de Sorio is Tombs of the Blind Dead, Return of the Blind Dead, like Paul said, the Ghost Galleon, and Night of the Seagulls. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, that's about it. Allie, the lead in that was Lone. Lone, Lemon? that's her name. Uh, so Lone came back okay. and is doing. Oh, I, should, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. You know what? Whatever. Uh, is doing the narration for the movie. Oh, that's fucking cool. Yeah, and they seem yeah, like super yeah. chill and nice, and like they're on Facebook and they're super cute. Hmm. Love it. I cannot wait to see that. Uh, there is a. Uh, there, okay. there was the Great Ship collection that Anchor Bay did back when people put out cool box sets that were shaped like shit. Like, one of my favorite pieces in my collection is, like, this old out-of-date DVD collection of Coffin Joe that's actually in a coffin uh, that I love. So, but, uh, send me photos you, of that. I want to see it. I will. I will. Uh, but I will say there is, if you missed um, the ship, like, the the, the big... Actually, I think it was kind of shaped like a coffin, too. But the uh, the Anchor Bay Blind Dead collection, if you missed out on that, about five or six years ago, they did put out all of the movies in just like a slim DVD case. But it's all the same transfers, all the same DVDs, and right. you'll be able to have the collection, too. I think that's still in print. I'll double check on that. But uh, well worth checking out if you are fans of movies of this sort because uh, they're, they're, they're beautifully made and – kind of grisly, kind of disturbing, but also kind of mm. gothic and cool and attractive in that way. And I just kind of love them. I love them. Mm. Like the Scream. second one where they're all trapped in the church, that's like my jam. Yeah. <laughs> Scream Factory put out Night of the Seagulls too on Blu-ray recently. Only, well, only right, right now you can get a a coffin box of all five for, uh, for $150 on eBay. That's a steal. Yeah, oh, when it came man. out, it was uh, in the 59.9. But that was like, I think that's 15 years old. But there's one up right now. It looks mm-hmm. like the case that I was talking about, too, the four-disc set, is yeah. uh, is out of print now, too. Son of a 
bitch. So, see, oh my (laughs) God, it's going for $180. That is ridiculous. You should just buy it. I'm saving my money for Black Friday, man. I I got so many movies to buy. (laughs) Okay, but the. All you Americans in Black Friday? The coffin box. Okay, so. The coffin box set came out, went out of print, right? So they released all yeah. of the discs in a slimmer case. That cheaper right. alternative that cost me fifteen bucks back in the day is now one hundred and seventy some dollars. The yeah. coffin box set is now like three hundred and seventy five. That is ridiculous. But, but you can get one right now for one hundred and fifty in the coffin if you act now. Nay, <laughs> if you act now. So, what do we think about the? Uh... The whole like asylum tearing apart the monster as his demise. Cause that's yeah, yeah, I, I was, I was, I was gonna mention that. Yeah, I the bits and pieces and just tearing him apart. Uh, uh, I don't know. Must not have been as strong as he thought he would <laughs> get over <overwhelmed laughs> by a bunch it, of frail mental it, patients. It feels like a <laughs> weird sort of commentary like like a reaction to sort of the night night of the living dead zombie thing because like like a bunch of people descending on something and then pulling up bits and pieces of it feels very post romero zombie yeah yeah and isn't that cool that kind of feeding like because obviously romero must have been familiar with hammer you know oh, and yeah. sure Every, well, i mean yeah there's that. no way plague of the zombies didn't influence night of 100 percent. so he's a huge hammer guy yeah and i i love the idea i love that sort of art feeding on art idea that romero was probably influenced by hammer and then in turn romero influences hammer you know that's that's so cool right yeah for sure well, now we well, know how they were able to tear him apart. He just got shot through the heart twice. Yeah. And now he's grabbing the heart. He got <laughs> shot through the heart, and yet he's grabbing his stomach. So I'm, yeah, he doesn't know what he's doing. I wonder he's if he gonna, look- he's kind of folding up here. But I, I think the suit's so stiff he can't quite fall down. I was going to say, I think that's more <laughs> indicative of like the makeup and the what he was wearing than the actual <laughs> performance. I do love <laughs> this weird. Uh, Beauty and the Beast moment between the two of them. Like, it's just yeah, this little... He's, I like how he caresses her hair with his bloody hands. I'm sure she's loving that. It's like this little oh, grace note, I think. Of, um, you know, it, it, it's, I love that moment. I think it's an oddly beautiful moment before the, uh, the true horror sets in and we see this uh, truly ghastly moment ensue. Yeah, and they're pulling entrails out and throwing them around. I like, and I like, like I love the reaction the on the guard's face when they're pulling entrails out. They're kind of, you know, and this this chick's feeding like an in, intestine to her baby doll there, and <laughs> and the guards are looking at each other like it's a it's a family father's own best comedy. And I love that they don't consider the possibility that all of these inmates, you know, if they can do that, how do these guards <laughs> continue to feel secure in their positions? Yeah, they'll just tear them apart the same way. I know. I, I, yeah, I, I, I wonder about. It. But Frankenstein comes out and sets her, you know, his, his arm's kind of screwed up there, but he comes out and lays down. Oh, that's not much left of him, is there? Is it just me, or does he, by the end of this movie, does Cushing look even more gaunt than he did at the very beginning? Yeah, he had a, yeah, yeah he he never got over uh, his wife's death, you know. And it's like, if you talk to Veronica Carlson, she'll tell the story about uh, uh, two years after this, when they were filming The Ghoul in 1975, you know, and he looked 
pretty much just as bad. And uh, uh, what Freddie Francis putting through, making him take five takes with, you know, his the portrait of his wife. And uh, oh, what the fuck? Yeah, and he just kind of basically was torturing him, making him do it again. And and Peter walked off oh, the set. And she said that is the only time he ever walked off a set in his career. Wow. That's and they were using his actual wife's picture. People thought they used his wife's Whoa, picture what? in the. Yeah, people thought they used his wife's picture in uh, Tales from the Crypt, but it was just it was it was not. Uh, but in the Ghoul, they used his actual wife's picture. <gasps> That's cruel. That's fucked yeah. up. But yeah, I think that he, he said it was he he went it it lent to the realism that's for sure. That's that's an overlooked movie right there. That's a Tyburn type movie, uh, The Ghoul, and it's got a young John Hurt. A lot uh, of good actors in it. He's such Veronica a big... Carlson. I'm ashamed to admit I've never seen it. I need to check that out. Yeah, you can probably get that, that on YouTube. Yeah, I gotta check that out as well. I haven't seen that either. The I... Ghoul. The ghoul. What I what I sort of dig about the ending is that even in a freaking insane asylum, <laughs> like not in the real world, like in a, in an enclosed space, Frankenstein can't make his vision really work. You know, right. even even in this world that is sort of broken and demented and twisted, and and and, and by all accounts in support of his vision more so than any other movies ever been in or situation rather uh uh in the end his monster is destroyed and he just can't fulfill what it is he sets out to do but he won't quit yeah i know yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah, but, but, but his his takeaway from that is like well god try again and that is the De- that in a way is his ultimate demise like we don't need to see him die we don't need to see him killed or sad we need to see him not react or learn and that yeah. stagnancy his, his last- is yeah it's like the stagnancy itself is his defeat his last but- words in the movie are like i have my eye on this guy and cell number you know he's ready to go to mm-hmm. the next one he's not even thinking about slowing down Right. Isn't it curious that Paul? I thought you were going a different route with that. I, you're entirely right with what you noted, but I think it's funny then too that you're right. Even in that setting, he's he's going to fail and he's going to keep trying over and over again. But I also think it's very interesting that you know you noted that he is a part of that world. You know that insular, you know, sort of like locked behind bars. He's stuck in that insane asylum, and yet much like his time when he was out and you know out and about in the real world. It's exactly the same in the sense that even stuck behind bars, even stuck there as a, you know, kind of a prisoner of sorts, he can yeah. still bend anybody he wants to his will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For and, all know, of that power, it, it it means nothing ultimately. Well, you know? yeah, that's the thing is he can do that, but to what end? Right? Nothing. Like, nothing. It doesn't, like it, it doesn't nowhere. matter. Yeah, like it's it's there, there's no value to that even though and and isn't that his tragedy the fact that he is that brilliant and he is that capable and he does have these marvelous ideas and you know he he could have done such wonderful marvelous things and yet he finds himself close to the end of his life one would imagine here in this film and he's accomplished absolutely nothing so what is it about him 
that continually delivers him to failure, do you think? And I'm asking everyone here, like Ali, Paul, Bomber, like why is it that for all of his brilliance he continually fails? Well, because that sets up the next sequel. For me, he won't oh, quit. He just won't quit. I mean, he's just he's so his mind is, you know, he's not quite right. And it's just like in like in the first movie, he like he goes and digs the body up and does it. He's just, you know, he just will not quit. So do you think I, it's I because think... he's so single minded then that he can't learn like he's he's brilliant. And he is a genius, but maybe his fatal flaw is that he cannot learn from his mistakes. And he, I think there's a – oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and he just doesn't care how he lives either. His whole focus in life is this creature. It's like if you look at the first movie, he's fabulously wealthy, you know, gives it all up because they're going to guillotine him. And, he, you know, so the second movie, he finds a, a place to work that takes care of it financially and – finds an assistant. The third movie finds an assistant, finds a way to get the money. Uh, the movie after that, Frankenstein created woman, Thorley Walters, another assistant lives off his money until he bleeds him dry, uh, does the same thing and must be destroyed by, you know, he uh, basically blackmails people. You know, he does whatever he needs to do to keep building these creatures. You know? Yeah, I agree. And I, I think it boils down to a, a fairly simple thesis that that goes all the way back to the curse of Frankenstein, which is simply that life is meant to be lived, not designed. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that that's yeah. his flaws. That he doesn't understand that, you know, he's yeah. not living his life. He's attempting to design one and, and play God. And because of that, he'll never actually be able to live his life. And that's the, the the vicious cycle he's caught up in, and that's what all of the films are ultimately about. And I think this this ending really hammers that home and solidifies and calcifies what the original film was was stating. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think you know um, I'm glad Terrence Fisher came back because he didn't even finish uh, the Devil Rides Out, and he broke his leg uh, and wasn't even involved in post production in that film. So I'm glad he came back. Because uh, he's the one that could t- tell the tale, but I think the way that it's set in, in an asylum, you know, it's kind of where he really belongs, and mm-hmm. he feels at home there. And uh, yeah, and the way that it, the ending they give you is that it's this is just not going to ever stop, ever. You know, it's like it's a kind of a perfect ending in a way for me. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, you know, have you ever heard the phrase, uh, the definition of crazy is doing the same thing <laughs> over and over again, expecting a different result? Right. Like, that's, that's, that's Frankenstein, that right? And so it's perfect yeah. sense that he's there and he's actually happy because now he can be in a place where he can do the things he's always doing and no one expects any different of him. <laughs> right, right. You don't have to be crazy to work here, but it helps. Yeah. And there's definitely some loose ends, like how are they going to explain the uh, the 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 uh, director of the uh, asylum with his throat cut and everything? But that's just all <laughs> left up in the air. You know? mm-hmm. Although that guy was uh, taking advantage of women left and right, so yeah. Then we find out that the Madeline Smith character is his daughter, and that's just yeah. Like that's that's pretty screwed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did want to note. I thought it was absolutely this. I. 
it's beautiful when stuff like this happens. But uh, I did read that the final scene that we just witnessed, the final mm-hmm. scene of the film, yeah. which is the final time that we see Frankenstein, Cushing's Frankenstein on screen. Right. That was Peter Cushing's final moment performed as Frankenstein. On October 24th, 1972, Peter Cushing played his final moments as Frankenstein. And those are the final moments that we see in the film. I, I, Love that. I, I love that the final moments that we see of him are, in fact, his final moments as that character. It's so fun. Yeah. 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 yeah for sure. Yeah, it's it's like he, it's like some people might say he's, he goes out on bottom. I think he goes out on top. Yeah, I would agree. It's like another the bad guy wins thing for me. He gets to live. Absolutely. All right. Everyone around the table here. Final thoughts. What do we think of Frankenstein and the monster from hell? Bomber, you go first. Well, you know, it was always my least favorite of the Frankenstein series, and it continues to be, but I do like it. So that tells you a lot about how I feel about Hammer films. (laughs) You know, I don't really have any that I really don't absolutely hate. Well, there are a couple that I really don't like, but, uh, you know, the fact the whole the whole Frankenstein series, uh, this being my least favorite of all of them, I still like it. So that speaks a lot uh, to the way they made movies for me. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. Allie, how about you? Final thoughts, Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. I like it. It's a lot of fun. It's super weird. And the surgery scene is like so gross and I love it. I'm here for it. I like it. <laughs> Rock on. Paul, how about you? Yeah, like I said, um, I feel like it's a wonderful bookend to the 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 cycle. Um, mm-hmm. I even think that it, in a way, spiritually incorporates what horror Frankenstein is doing by introducing a younger Frankenstein proxy in this film. Mm-hmm. Like it's sort of embracing like the alternate take on Frankenstein and bringing him into the fold. Um, and and tying back into again the initial point of of the first film around what like, the inherent righteousness of playing god and what is and isn't okay and what the cost of that is and what you sacrifice frankenstein's mm-hmm. a man with a massive intellect who could have done amazing things for humanity had he applied himself to those things. And I think in Frankenstein's own mind, he was doing that. <laughs> you know, it was everyone else that didn't understand that he was trying to help them. Um, but because he didn't have that sense of direction, because he didn't have guidance or people who cared for him and, and were honest with him, he mm-hmm. became obsessed with, you know, what his obsession and intellect we're telling him to do. And this movie harkens back to that in a lot of really interesting ways and is incredibly simple in its presentation and its narrative. Um, and, and really provides a fitting ending for that character. Uh, so yeah, I, I adore it. Um, where it ranks. I mean, ranking these movies is near impossible for me. Um, but yeah, I don't, I couldn't even say I, but I, I would just say that I think it's a great ending and I'm I'm really happy it's here. And I wish that uh, it had come out in a, in, in a different decade because <laughs> I think yeah. it would have been better respected. Yeah. 
<laughs> I can agree with that. I I honestly agree with all of you. Like Bomber, I uh, I agree with you in that. Like I, I I do believe this is my least favorite Frankenstein movie, and that includes horror Frankenstein. That's a fact. And yet, saying that this is my least favorite Hammer Frankenstein doesn't really say anything at all. It doesn't knock the movie because I still, even at that, absolutely adore it. Ali, I agree with you in that I think the movie is super weird. It's super fun. I love the fact that it occupies this weird territory between classy and grindhouse. You know, it's it's gothic and it's grisly all at once, and I think that's marvelous. Paul, I agree with you, too. I I think it's a, a, a great sort of fitting end for the character. I love the fact that you know, and Paul, you and I have talked about this from the very beginning, from the time that we first talked about The Curse of Frankenstein, like Cushing's arc throughout all of these movies, the up and down yeah. of it is kind of marvelous. And what I love about it is that there are times that we, you know, we don't like Victor Frankenstein that much. We don't like the Baron all that much. And then there are times that he's very much a likable character, a guy who who means well, who is pained by the fact that, you know, tragedy occurs around him and he he fought it and lost. And then there are times that he's a complete rapist bastard. And yeah. um, what I love about Too this true. film is that, you know, we, we are presented with the final moments of this character who has been presented to us alternately as a villain and a hero. And where do we leave him at? But... In the, his final moments, he is mad as a hatter, yeah. and yet he is happy for that. And so what I think is so absolutely brilliant uh, when taking the franchise you know, a, a, as a whole and this film's place within it, its final moments, the, 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 the denouement, as we've said, for this character, is that he is presented with his punishment and his reward – all at once. And I, I love that he couldn't have a more fitting ending than the final moments of this film. And for that reason alone, I, I, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. They had, they had the right guy at the helm at the end doing his last film for sure. Fuck yeah, they did. <laughs> Rock on. Well, Hey, somehow, some way we have come to the end of this episode. And I think all too soon before we go, Bomber, I just wanted to say thank you so much for agreeing to appear on this episode. I think you do great work on Twitter, sir. I love your account, and I'm certain that everyone else does too. Or if they haven't mm -hmm. discovered you yet, I certainly hope they do through this episode. Before we go, can I ask, can you go ahead and tell folks out there who might not be familiar with you where they can find you at online and what we can keep an eye out for from you in the future? So, uh, at HorrorHammer1, uh, that's the Twitter account. Uh growing by leaps and bounds all the time uh we're gonna keep uh we're gonna keep on hammering the hammer of course and uh we've got some new stuff uh new photos there's always new clips always something popping up and uh we will still keep touching on vincent price and his aip work and throw a little universal in there some of the you know tombs of the blind dead little little stuff like that it's gonna always be the lion shares hammer but you know I, I'll always throw anything that I think is interesting out there. And it, it, you know, we post 20 times a day. It's just going to, it's going to be some reruns, but you're going to get a lot of new stuff too. So it, we're, we're just going to keep going like we're going. It's going really good. Rock on. Well, hey, again, thank you so much for being on, sir. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. You were so great. Yeah. This is really fun. Um, man. I appreciate coming on. Yeah. No, no, my pleasure. Rock on. All right, Allie, Paul, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody out there, as we do at the end of every episode, where they can find you at and what we can keep an eye out for from you in the future. 
Allie, Allie go first. Again, Allie when first. you just said both of our names and then neither of us know. Okay. Um, Allie, you're always first. Uh, Allie goes first. I don't. Know. You can find me on all social medias at the Allie Chapel. Uh, and then things to look out for. Yeah, Screams of the Blind Dead comes out next month. And okay, in theory, from what I know, Girl the Straight Razor comes out this month or next month. I think I, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Uh, but otherwise. You can find me just at my apartment watching Bowfinger every day. <laughs> All right, Paul. That's you it. Now. Oh, it's me now. Okay. Um, my name is Paul. Uh, you can find me at Paul is Great Two Thousand, a very modest Twitter handle that I made at a wedding <laughs> once as a joke, uh, but that now I'm stuck with for the rest of my life. Um, and there I will post about horror movies I'm watching and articles I'm writing. So it's a, it's a good time. Check Do it you out. Have any upcoming articles? <laughs> uh, yeah, I definitely do. I have, uh, some hammer articles coming out. I, uh, what I, I should have a witches, uh, the witches should be coming out really soon. I would assume. Oh, good. Um, good. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, my gosh. Yeah, there was a bunch of articles in October uh, that you can check out on Bloody Disgusting. The Witches should be coming soon. My last Hammer article was um, uh, Brides of Dracula. I did a I did a write up on that for Bloody uh, in October. And then I, I'm doing a, a, a article on actually lust for a vampire, uh, even though I don't. Even though I don't like it, uh, which I was, I, I I thought would be an interesting movie to write about because I I often choose movies I like, so I was like, well, let's pick a movie I don't like and write about the movie. So, so uh, yeah, so I did sort of a retrospective on *Lust for a Vampire* that'll be coming out in like a month probably, but uh, that's written. So yeah, there's there's a bunch of Hammer stuff coming out on Play Disgusting. Just search my name, and there's a bunch of stuff there. Okay. Paul, did you make a Jimmy Fallon reference in your write-up for Lust for a Vampire? Uh, probably, as a joke. I'm sure <laughs> oh I did. Oh, my God. Well, the... Oh, Brace the, yourself. The Twitter world's going to hate the, you. The serious <laughs> hammer world's going to have a stroke. <laughs> I will say... Well, let me say one thing about Lust for a Vampire, and I know we did this during the commentary, too, but I will say, as bad as that movie is, and it is a bad movie, it's also a great sampler platter for all of the things that I love about Hammer. Uh, none of it really works together, but taken in pieces, there's a lot of fun stuff in there. I, I think there's a lot of, I think every Hammer movie has an interesting story behind it. Um, and that's kind of my approach to writing about Lust. Plus, I, I again, I think it's like if you're doing a column on Hammer, you can't just pick the great ones. You you have to talk about everything. Hmm. Um, and that's one of the reasons I wanted it. Plus, Scream Factory put it out, so I'm kind of yeah. focusing in on the movies <laughs> that are getting restorations and good. Peter leave that production or not? Are they offered and he refused or something? I can't, I can't remember. Yeah, no, it's it's he was going to be a part of it, and then he ended up having to leave. Oh, so, then he read the script. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Well, yeah, and and that's, I mean, that was when his wife fell really ill. So there's some debate right. about like whether or not he didn't like the movie or if he just left because 
of her illness. Well, yeah, he but, shot on yeah, blood I mean, from yeah, blood from my mummy's tomb. He shot on for two days, for like a day or two, and then he walked out, and they had to get yeah. Um, but cure, like, yeah. yeah, cure, yeah. But I, at the end of the day, it, it 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 you think about lust, and it was supposed to have Terrence Fisher and Peter Cushing. And then didn't get either, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, it's, it's, it's kind of set up to fail from the, from the beginning and, and Sangster didn't really want to do it. You know, he, he did it as a favor to the company, to the studio, to Fisher himself. Like he, he was not, he was still in post-production on horror Frankenstein when they basically told him he had to go do that movie. So, right. and well, they didn't get a lot of producers. And, single though, so. Oh, strange <laughs> love. Uh, oh, my God. Well, and like Sankster didn't even know strange love was in the movie until he saw it at the premiere. And him and Ralph Bates were just like, what the fuck? And like, yeah, so what? how far they sank down in their seats. Yeah, right, right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Forget, it's, it's crazy. Forget but the anyway. script read through. We're going to top off Hammer Pub. We're going to end with Allie, Paul, and myself singing Strange Love. Mm, every day. It's going to be like karaoke <laughs> night. You don't want to hear that. You don't, you don't no, want to hear that. No, we're going to get and we're going to karaoke that. Oh, I think it would be the, I think it would, I think it would be a, a YouTube viral hit. I do too. Um, I will say this about Lust for a Vampire, damn it. You know what? Unlike the middle two mummy movies, Lust for a Vampire may not be very good, but damn it, it tries its heart out. It really does. Yeah. Like it tried. It showed up. It had you. It had failed, you. but it showed up. Yeah. It gets a participation award. Is yes. what I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> it, gets, it gets yeah. the orange ribbon. <laughs> it gets a. It gets a hammy. You know. <laughs> yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for being a part of this episode. I had an absolute blast. I, I really appreciate it. Bomber, I hope you come back sometime in the future. We would very much appreciate it, I think. Yeah, yes, I'll 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 come back sometime in the future. Rock on. And uh, thanks I mean, all I mean I mean I mean like, you know, not like uh, in the future, like a hundred years from now is some kind of recreated I mean <laughs> in the future of the show. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know what? We're nearing the end of the classic run of Hammer, but we are going to be diving into new Hammer soon. So, if you want to uh, come back and maybe uh, maybe chat with us then about some, uh, maybe some Woman in Black, maybe some Wakewood, maybe some yeah, uh, Woman, Woman, Woman in Black. Uh, I just watched that again. That is the, the first one is a genuinely creepy movie. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. good deal. Well, Agreed. we hope to have you back again soon. Again, thanks back. to everyone. Sorry. Please come back. You were fun. You're very knowledgeable. Thank you. Yeah, you guys as well. And thanks to all you listeners out there. As always, please make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comment section below. Scream at us on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Scream Addicts, and I'm at Jinx1981. Until next time, folks, thanks so much, and have a great weekend.